welcome to a very special bonus episode of Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger, and uh, shout out to maybe the first ever bonus episode where it's not recorded on like midnight on the 30th of the month. Uh, this is the first time we're getting it done early, uh, which is fitting because we're going to talk about 13 Sentinels Igastrin, a game that's all about time, baby. Uh, yeah. Just heads up, this is our big spoiler episode. Um, if you want just like spoiler free conversation about what this game is and, and how we were enjoying it. Um, we've got an earlier episode called Yakisoba Podcast, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that can't be true. Uh, Yakisoba Podcast. We talk about um, like somehow talk about the game without spoiling anything. But this is our <laughs> at, at this point in time. Brendan and I have both finished the game, and uh, we're gonna go through it as best as we can. Yeah. And uh, if you're cool with spoilers, you're in for a ride because you won't. Like, you truly won't believe what I'm going to tell you. Yeah, if you, <laughs> if you just listen to this podcast for entertainment value and not, like, as kind of an addendum or, like, um, you know, the back of the book kind of exploration of uh, various vocab terms, this is going to be one of the wildest episodes of our podcast you've ever listened to. If you yeah. have played 13 Sentinels <laughs> and you're here because you just wanted, like, any content at all because there's not a lot on the internet uh we're happy to have you this is also maybe going to be one of the wildest episodes of a podcast yeah. you've ever heard it's like you stumbled across a conspiracy theory youtube video where they're like this kind of light is actually not color based but it's from a different dimension and it's a god <laughs> screaming into this realm <laughs> kind of like some interpretations of cyclops eyes as being a portal to a dimension where everything screams yeah welcome Welcome. Uh, so just sell these supplements to as many people as you can. <laughs> they split the profits. No, right, right. None of that. Go door to door. And it, yeah, if you sell enough to somebody else and they sell some, you get some of their profit. It's awesome. It's a great system. It's then like we a malt. Triangle. <laughs> it's like an upside down triangle where you're at the bottom and then you, uh, you build up a foundation above you. Right. Yeah. Not a pyramid scheme. Not Don't a pyramid worry. scheme because it's upside down. <laughs> but anyway, we just wanted to start this episode with that. And also, uh, I think we're going to just talk about like still still spoiler free. We'll, we'll just sort of discuss like now that we both finished the game, how we're feeling about it. Um, and I guess I'll give the floor to you because I had already finished it. So you can kind of get my energy in that last episode. But now you're done. I guess just like general thoughts, like where does this game fall for you? Like what was the impact you got from it? Like, all, you know, how do you feel? Are you okay? Yeah. No, I'm real good. Yeah. Um, it, it, I, I will be honest. It has been a couple weeks since uh, we recorded that episode. It's been a couple weeks since yeah. I finished the game. So I've had like a lot of time for it to sit with me. Um, and I look back on it constantly. Like every once in a while, like 13 Sentinels will just pop into my head again. I'll be like, damn, that was a fucking good video game. <laughs> and I just, I think about it all the time. So, I mean, we talked about it a lot in, in the first episode about it, and you had binged the game in, like, what, three or four days, probably? Somewhere Insane. Like that. Yeah, I finished it in, in maybe four days. Tops. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, as I think we mentioned in the episode, I was going through, like, a lot of stuff in my life that was preventing me from playing video games, and I still finished it in, like, a week, which was <laughs> right, right. wild. <laughs> wild that I was able to do it in, that. like, a cabin in the woods via remote play. I was which very is, like, literally perfect. remote playing it from a cabin in the woods, yeah. yeah. Um, it, was, it was a wild experience um 
I mean, I'll, I'll say this, like on the onset, it's like so easily one of the best games of the year. And I think I mentioned this in that. Ep- I did mention this in that episode, but like I wouldn't blame anyone who said this was the best game of the year. And if you went and looked back at like the entire deck, I don't know what the decade holds, obviously. But if you go and look at like games of the decade, uh, when we hit you know, decade part two, baby, eight more hours when we sign hit up 20. I, I bet you if we make it that far, it's going to be way longer than eight hours, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Because we yeah, will have no, played I mean, every game that d- that decade on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, dude, it's gonna be great. Two hundred games. Uh, anyway, so I, I think like this is gonna be one of those games that uh, people will really, really, really like point back at and be like, twenty twenty, the biggest game everybody missed was was Thirteen Sentinels. It it is just like. I mentioned it before. It's an achievement. It's an incredible thing. Narratively, it's so fucking ambitious. It's out of this world ambitious. The fact that it works at all is a goddamn miracle. Um, You look at any quotes from anyone who worked on this game and they're all like, I don't know how it happened. We set out to do something impossible and we somehow achieved it. Like that is the vibe. And it is weirdly also the vibe of the story, which, you know, we'll get into in spoilers. But um, it just feels like it shouldn't exist and it shouldn't be as good as it is. But it 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 sure is. It's also not the kind of game that you and I like really play a whole lot. Like I have played visual novels in the past and like kind of enjoyed them, but they really are dependent on the story in a lot of instances. This one not only has the best story in any visual novel I've ever played, but also has these like fucking rad mech versus kaiju battles that you're playing, um, which a lot of the reviews, as you said, I think kind of knock the kaiju stuff down a little bit and say it's like the weakest part of the game. And like, maybe that's true, but I love them. And when you finish the game, this is not a spoiler. When you finish the game, they just give you a bunch of extra kaiju battles you can do. Like, I think it's a thousand. They give you just a thousand that you can do that have no story <laughs> attached to them whatsoever. It's just like, you can just continue playing this if you like it enough. And I did, dear listener and dear Steven. I played like <laughs> another like 50 to 60 of them because they're just like so fun. I just like mindless fun to just like beat the shit out of kaiju in a big ass city. It feels like a game you would rent a lot on PS2, you know, like the, the just the, the the specifically the mech battles, just just the battle stuff. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it feels like, and I think it aids the uh, without spoiling. I think there's a, a narrative reason for it feeling the way it does and for looking the way it does. Very much. Um, yeah. But yeah, I I agree, man. I think that this game is definitely like when I think about games that like set out to tell a really ambitious story. Um, or any kind of story, you know, I, I think like, yes, this is a visual novel, but I played a lot of games where like the story is the focus and there might be like light puzzles or like light adventure stuff happening. Yeah. And there's something about the way this game delivers the story in this like quick hit episodic format mm-hmm. and the fact that it lets you choose what you do next and like which story you put on next, or if you go to the battles, like that choice of pacing i think really helps it become so immersive and i think it all like adds to this to this like atmosphere where you're either like experiencing the story which leaves you with more questions uh you do the battles which lets you see more story and then you get more mystery points which unlocks the codex so like you're either researching seeing or like uh, partaking in the the story and i think that even if the battles aren't your favorite I think they do a lot to change up the experience a little bit. If this game was just all of the visual novel stuff, 
we still would have loved it. We still probably would be talking about it. But I think that the variety really helps this game. And and the fact that the the battles are taking place in it and seemingly their own time when you're first starting, you're like, when is this? Why does everyone know each other? Mm-hmm. That really adds to it. Yeah, it does feel like weirdly like um, from a format perspective, narratively, it almost feels like comic books in a way where like you could go pick any of the 13 uh, characters storylines and continue playing them and it's just like reading a serialized comic book of that character specifically and then at any point you can jump over to destruction mode which is the battles and that's like picking up the avengers you know it's like oh shit i get to see all these people together now and they're all buds and they all hang out then you go back and get to see their individual stories and they'll pop up into each other's and it's like ah, oh, i know that person it's like exciting to see you know yeah. the, how the stories overlap here and there but it, it really does feel a little bit comic booky I, I don't think like maybe not from an actual like thematic perspective but just from like a format perspective yeah yeah and i i think that it's 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 so hard to phrase again again i'm amazed we did that spoiler free episode as well as we did me too <laughs> but it's just it's just like a f- i kept waiting for the game to mess up and don't get me wrong there's some there's some rough moments here or there and like some things aren't handled super graciously we, we touched on that in the first episode yeah but like it's like just fireworks going off of like things set up and things paying off mm-hmm. like i have yet to see like a game put down so many plot lines and have most of them succeed i mean going back to comic bookie it kind of feels like uh i, I wasn't like a huge endgame fan but endgame was very impressive in that it tied up like a bunch of stories at once yeah every um, avengers uh movie not being a travesty is like basically a fucking miracle you know like right. to have that so many like, characters that many personalities on screen and have a story that like gives them all screen time that like pays off in the end and is even remotely uh, uh like followable from the audience perspective is really hard to do from like a screenwriting perspective and then to take that all the way through production is wild and that is exactly what this game does as well yeah i mean and i think to this game what i was going to say is like this game does that in a way where i felt like 90 percent of the plot lines paid off you know like yeah i think it it itself is such a hard thing to pull off like okay but to do it well it's again it's like shouldn't have happened yeah um and it's also just like a love letter to every piece of science fiction ever which i think is also wonderful like yeah we'll get into it more in the story perspective but we do mention it in in our first episode about it but like this is pulling from just so many i actually don't want to say any of the influences because it might spoil some stuff but like it's pulling like if you can think of a sci-fi story that has had any impact on society like our society in general it is referenced directly or uh is used to great effect in this game and the fact that it does all of that and doesn't feel shitty you know like James Cameron's Avatar, for example, is a movie that a lot of people point at. <laughs> Your nemesis. Yeah. yeah, and are like, okay, this is just like three different movies or stories smashed together and just feels like, you know, it's not original in any way, shape, or form. 13 Sentinels is able to take all those influences and mold them into something that is unique to itself. Um, and that's really totally. hard to do also. Yeah, I think it's because it's not just like, it's not like self-satisfied with its references. It's, it's using them in a purposeful way. Right. Yeah. It's like you, and just pulling from that many things, the alchemy of like that combination is going to be something new. Cause like, right. You know, we'll, we'll name them later, but like they're, even though, yes, they're all sci-fi, like there's, it's really like the full spectrum of sci-fi <laughs> is all in this game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
it's it's there truly is nothing like this game like i really think it's going to be a while before we see anything try to pull off this kind of story with this ambition i don't even know if i would want it to you know like i don't even know if i would i i would be really surprised if we ever saw a game that looked like this and was like clearly inspired by 13 sentinels that is even remotely as good like how do you how do you do anything like this a second time right and it's hard to put into words like how it's doing it. And I, I think I think I the the thing that would stand out if I had to choose one thing is what I said earlier, that sort of freedom of pacing, like let, allowing you to progress the story in any way you want. But I think you're right. I think that this is sort of this like kind of beautiful like gem that pops out of nowhere and like will be influential, but there will never be something like this. Kind of like yeah. you watch the first Alien movie and like that's such an influential movie, but there's never going to be a movie like that again, you right. know, with like yeah. that exact vibe. And there shouldn't be like, I, I think you're absolutely right in that. The, the thing about this game, and, and, and again, hard to talk about without spoiling anything. But the thing about this game that I think it gets so right is that its ability to let you choose between 13 different characters and also hop into this like mech battle thing that like gameplay mechanic that 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 player choice exists for narrative reasons. There's like narrative structure that's set up that allows you to pick any of those 13 characters and go in and play their stories. And that's the thing that I think you can't like copy paste over something else. You could do like like a fun like fantasy adventure with like 13 characters and let you choose all of them. But it's going to be really hard to create the like narrative setup that 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 makes all of that make sense, um, I think. Yeah, I. I think there are a lot of games that will kind of focus on some type of narrative framing device or mechanic. That's not a bad thing, but I think a lot of games will be like, in this story, you can be good or evil, or in this story, right. all your decisions will matter. And that's great. Some of my favorite games are like solely focused on that. But this game is almost the opposite where like they didn't, they just, the people who made this game really know the benefits of telling a story through a video game. And I think the visual novels I've experienced, sometimes you're left with the question like, okay, this is cool, but why was it a game and not a book or a show? Yeah. Like, what did I get from actually playing it? And and this game is very light with like the gamey elements, but it really does a lot. And I think that mm -hmm. it's the story they wanted to tell and they figured out how to make it work in a game yeah. rather than like, we want to tell a story with eight different characters then make Octopath Traveler, you know? Like it's <laughs> not, not to duck, I love, I love Octopath Traveler, but you know, it's not yeah. that. It's not like resting on a gimmick. It's just, this could only really work as a game. If it was a show, it would be cool. But like the fact that it is a game, it's in your control and you're kind of piecing it together like you're a detective for this piece of media is very interesting. Yeah, and um, this is maybe the last thing I'd, I'd want to say without getting into spoilers about this stuff. But the way it, yeah. it the way it allows you to hop into these characters and have all of those characters be a different take on the game mechanics that they figured out. So like just. I guess like really, really quick top level shit. But like anytime you're playing as a character, you're walking around an environment, you're interacting with other characters in that environment. And in a lot of instances, you're using what's called a thought cloud, which is like a, a essentially a balloon filled with ideas. Um, and at any time you can like hop into the head of any of those characters and hear what they have to say about any of those ideas. The way that they use that very simple framework and like explore every version of a video game that could exist within that framework is really cool. You have a character who's a detective. It seems like the easiest uh, mode of using that. You have another character who is constantly forgetting things and needs to take pills all the time to be able to remember shit. And, and words will disappear from her thought cloud sometimes if you don't take your pills or you won't be able to traverse the environment 
department if you don't take the pills. Um, there's another character who is uh, reliving the same day over and over and over and over again, kind of like a Groundhog Day situation. And every time he does, he gets another new word in that word cloud. Um, and you get to go back to the beginning of that time reset and experience that entire time loop with that new word that you've now learned. Things like that, like they really, really thought about every possible mm. angle and then just gave it to each of the 13 characters you can play as. And that yeah. fucking rules. It's really, yeah, really totally. cool. It's really cool. Again, I mean, the fact that any of this works is a miracle. We'll get into, I think, more specifics about that. But um, I highly recommend if you haven't gone and listened to it, go listen to our first episode about it because we get a little bit more in depth, I think, in some of the stuff that it does really well mechanically without giving anything away narratively. Um, but I am like itching to talk about the narrative now. So, yeah, I think we've we've been patient with ourselves. Yeah. OK, dear listener, last warning, uh, we're going to get into spoilers now. So if you're not down to hear like tinfoil hat, Brendan, Steven, try to decipher <laughs> what this game is. You leave now. You're good. But uh, for the rest of the episode, we've divided it into character by character. So we're going to like focus on one character, talk about their story a little bit, say what we liked about them or their story, you know, just sort of have like a loose conversation about all of them. But I think it will help us and hopefully help you uh, and make this an enjoyable listen to kind of frame everything with, I would say, the twist that kind of like explains what this game is about. I'm so interested to hear what you think the twist is. Yeah, yeah. Because I think uh, even that is up I, to interpretation. Totally. Because I mean, like, again, I, I said this in the last episode, this is the most twists I've seen in any piece of media. <laughs> I mean, if they're borrowing from every sci-fi thing ever, it's going to have the most twists. And boy, does it. Yeah. Uh, but I think what makes it all kind of simpler is that this is pitched as a time traveling mech story and for a lot of the beginning you know you're playing as these characters and every character will kind of give you like a bit of perspective on maybe an element of the world and we'll get into that when we talk about the characters but you're often just like intrigued and confused which is why it's so gripping it's hard to be like okay i'm good like it always ends with some kind of cliffhanger for me, the, the, the plot reveal that kind of summed everything up was it's eventually revealed that they are not time traveling uh, and that they are basically all descendants slash clones of a human colony in space that were the last surviving humans after this uh, nanobot apocalypse. You know, choose your threat. That Humanity was basically largely wiped out and a handful of people went into the space colony and made their best effort to preserve humanity. Yeah. And by said, doing so... Just to add a little bit more spice to that, essentially the people who created the nanomachines, uh, the people who like released them into the world by accident um, and created this plague that wiped out a bunch of people are, on that, are in that colony um, as a way for them to try and create the antidote to that, essentially. Um, so right. Earth like sent up its most brilliant minds, including the people who fucked over Earth, um, as a way to say like, okay, you all have to work together now and figure out a way out of this. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but even simpler, you know, it's like a group of characters who are trying to preserve the future of their species by cloning themselves and sending those clones to any hospitable planet somewhere in the universe uh, and they will try to begin anew. And there's more. I might save the other twists after that later, but I think the reveal that they're not time traveling, that this area they're navigating is actually just five different sectors that are styled as different time periods because yeah. they couldn't settle on one. 
the fact that like this story is about a group of characters who are all connected to largely shitty people from the past and they have to deal with their mistakes yeah. for their own future, I think is a really captivating tale. You know, the details can confuse it, but I think just the idea of like, we want a future and we're like tethered by our ancestors' mistakes. I think is really interesting. Yeah. And it navigates that in every way possible. And like the characters who you get to know and who their, you know, original person was in the space station are sometimes night and day. So I think it's mm-hmm. like, it's a very hopeful story because some of the least likable characters in the space station are the most likable later on. Yeah. And, you know, and, and them dealing with their own sense of identity after that. And like, how do they sway from that? How do they maybe relive that? I think that that is really interesting. And like everything else is kind of fun as far as I'm concerned, but like that to me is what frames the whole story. Yeah, I'm so with you. Yeah, you mentioned this in the last episode, but um, there there are a lot of, I think, similarities to Evangelion that a lot of people make in this in this game. Yeah. But the one place where it really doesn't, I think, follow the Evangelion uh, through line is is in its tone overall. Um, while so much of it feels dour and, and like brutal and like sad and maybe hopeless at times, there is a constant undercurrent of hope throughout the entire thing in a way there is like absolutely not in Evangelion. Every once in a while you get a glimmer of hope of Evangelion, then they just snatch it away from you. And that's like the point of the show. 13 Sentinels is, is about like a constant, like bumping up against defeat and trying to find a way around it very literally to the point of the time loops happening uh, over and over again which i guess we'll get into later but um i i think that this story uh or at least the way it ends um and and those twists in general that you just referred to are like are are just so brilliant in that it it, it kind of like frees all of these characters from who they've been um i i was so bummed out to find i i guess we could talk we're in spoilers we can talk about specifics shinonome for example i think is one of those characters who like has such a fucking tragic 2188 version of her out there you know um her original version just to just as a refresher um essentially doomed everyone um way 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 back in the day and tried to uh fuck up project arc which is this is the collection of the clones going out and finding a new planet to inhabit because the person that she was in love with, Tetsuya Ida, wasn't in love with her also. And she was like, well, if I can't have him, then I'm going to wipe out all of humanity uh, in general, um, which is big fucked. Um, and when our version that we play as finds this out, she's like, oh, yeah, absolutely not. Full repudiation of that ideology. And it's like she actually comes clean to everyone at the end, which I really appreciated. She's like, I'm so yeah. sorry, but my original version was a big piece of shit and created a virus. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. I, I like I think that is the most like concrete example of what this game is trying to do. I mean, it is so cut and dry. You know, it, it is like I think the most distilled version of what the game is trying to say um, just in this one character who just has a very clean like old me was evil, but new me is cool. And like, that's great. Yeah. Um, but I, I think like the more hopeful kind of like silver lining edge of all of that is this idea that like humanity is going to fuck up a lot because that's just who we are as people. But eventually we're going to do the right thing. There's this Winston Churchill quote that people that people have been saying a lot recently um, about America specifically. But, you know, we could apply it to, I think, humanity in total. Uh, but the Winston Churchill quote is uh, America will always do the right thing, but it'll try everything else first. And I kind of feel that way. And I think the game feels that way about humankind in general. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it almost has maybe this is I've been playing a lot of Hades, but it almost has like a Greek God aspect where like, yeah, there are all these people in the space station in charge of the future 
but all their like petty personal shit is literally dooming the future. Right. And why do all those Greek myths exist in the first place? You know, they're they're just exactly. reflections of of humans at the time anyway. Uh, and I think I think all of that makes the optimism of this game's finale really deserved. You know, the fact that yeah. like these characters explore so much of the world around them and themselves and their past selves and who they want to be. It really pays off. And I think it's, I think it's beautiful. It's like my favorite part of the game was eventually seeing who everyone was. Cause like they do that with some characters right away and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. What is this? Yeah. And then eventually you're like, Oh, everyone's got a 2188 uh, <laughs> clone, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see him, baby. They're really creative with them, and we'll talk about that a lot when we get into the characters. But yeah, I uh, I, I think this game is great. I, I would highly recommend playing it. If you're here and you haven't, you know, this may be a little bit of spoilers sold you on it. Uh, but I, I just think it, it deserves to be championed more than it has been. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we did manage to not actually spoil everything in that bit. So maybe, maybe this is like your clean break, dear listener. If you actually haven't played the game, but the things we just talked about are interesting to you, now is a good time to go and play the game. <laughs> You're like, 2188 clones, I'm sold. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's start talking about some people. Is that cool? Do you want to do that? That sounds great. Let's let's dive into the 13 Sentinels. Yeah, I mentioned this even before we started recording, but I imagine this is going to be a very loose episode because it is so hard to talk about this game in general and to like try <laughs> and force any kind of uh, linearity into this story is like just just wild shit, you know? Um, yeah, I feel like we kind of said what we like think about the game already and this is just going to be fun, you know? <laughs> like, I think we'll have a lot more to say about like everything that happens i don't want to downplay the rest of it but like yeah yeah it's gonna be good yeah all right uh let's start with uh who you have to start with as the player juro karabe um who i think you said when we talked off air uh, a while ago is probably one of your least favorite characters yeah that might be a bit harsh um i think steven said fuck juro karabe <laughs> And then he spray painted it on in the on the ceiling of his apartment. Well, you look at the cover of the game, and there are the thirteen characters all facing away, and Juro is the one facing the audience. So they're kind of billing Juro and and Diori as like the main characters, um, and I think that's kind of to their detriment. Like I think that they, ha- so I, as much as I love the writing of this game, I think that it falls into the habit of like making the protagonists like less interesting than than maybe the side characters are. That being said, I think Juro's story is incredible, but he as a character is kind of a blank slate, but that also has narrative purpose. <laughs> so, you know, I think that, um, I think that I just was like more pulled when I was playing it. I was more pulled in the direction of other characters, but like Juro's story is is wild, and I think his twenty one eighty eight character is maybe one of my favorites. Yeah. So we'll we'll talk about. Yeah, that. he has a he has a really brief moment. Yeah, twenty one eighty eight Juro we see very briefly and has like one of the greatest moments in the whole game. I think if, if I, I I think I wrote this down, but if I recall correctly, he. Uh, he finds out that uh, the daughter of one of the other people in the colony is stuck outside of the colony and is like potentially sick. Um, and who is it? Who is running the colony? I think it's talk. Yeah, it's, it's Hijiyama. Hijiyama is running the colony at the time. Yeah. And he's like, you can't go outside and get her. And Juro's like, well, I'm going to fucking do it anyway. And he, he risks his life to go out and save her. 
um, that person is Megumi. It's Megumi Yakushiji who like becomes the love interest later, which is awesome. It's really fun. So it's, it's a cool idea. Uh, but it turns out he's like a major in the military, whatever, whatever's left of the military in this colony. I mean, I imagine it's like five people total. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Jiro is a really interesting character. So like the whole thing with him is that he's uh, he's a student. It's 1985. He's a student. He loves B movies like kaiju shit in general. Um, and he hangs out with his his friend who's named uh, Kyuta Shiba. Who like honestly? When I first met him, I was like, "He is the protagonist, not Juro." Because <laughs> mm, interesting, Kuta, Kuta just has like this really like fun kind of laid back like anime protagonist vibe, and Juro is just like, "I don't know what I want to do today after school." Yeah, he's actually very Shinji esque in that he's kind of like very reactionary and yeah. not, doesn't have like a lot of agency. Yeah, Kuta is the one who's dragging him around to do shit. Um, but the the big thing with Kuta is that he has these VHS tapes that he's constantly giving to Juro, and it's like, "Hey, you want to watch this?" sci-fi movie uh it's pretty fucking wild and he keeps giving him these sci-fi movies that are like absolutely absurd um what Jero doesn't ever really like consider at all is that every time he tries to watch one he passes the fuck out and has a wild dream um <laughs> which is hilarious <laughs> yeah. but yeah i don't know so like uh, we're in spoilers we can talk about this stuff Jero Jero ends up finding out eventually that kutashiba is um Jero izumi um or or is Jero izumi from like a loop or two loops ago who is essentially like an AI version of a, of another Juro that existed one or two loops ago, who uh, is giving him these VHS tapes. They are actually his old memories, and he's trying to implant them into Juro Karabe to try and take over his body eventually. Yeah. Um, just like wipe Juro Karabe from the brain and replace it with Juro Izumi from two loops ago. A wild thing. An absolutely wild thing. We haven't even mentioned what loops are. Do you want to talk about what loops are real quick? I think this is this is exactly... You got the floor. Yeah, this is exactly how I wanted this episode to go. It's like, oh yeah, loops. Um, <laughs> we warned you. This is going to be how it is. Yeah, this is... Sorry. Um, no, you're doing a great so, job, honestly. Here's the thing. This colony is shooting through space looking for a new planet. The closest planet that we know of... I mean, the, the closest planet they, they talk about in the narrative is 12 light years away which means it's going to take like tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of years to reach a planet that is inhabitable. So apparently what's happening to these kids, there's actually the game is called 13 Sentinels. There's actually 15 Sentinels, which they don't really uh, talk about a whole lot. Um, But these 15, uh, these 15 clones are getting sent through space in these like gestation pods. And whenever there's a loop that happens in the timeline, these clones and these pods are getting destroyed by the nanomachines within them and then rebuilt back up and then gestating until they're 18 years old again. So essentially they'll hit 18 years old and then get like destroyed and die and then get rebuilt again. And then they'll try and re-implant those memories. It is a horrifying idea. It is like really, truly scary. But this was like kind of the only thing they could think to do to like allow a human to grow and be the right age by the time it hits the place. Because like, say you hit the planet, but there's three years left. You could just like orbit the planet and let the clone grow for three more years or something, I think is the idea behind that. Really terrifying. There are a couple characters who a few loops ago realized what was going on and figured out a way. They actually, there there is... um, uh, I think it's one of Iori's dreams and one of Juro's dreams and one of Shu's dreams, I believe, are all going back to loops. And you get to watch as three of these people realize what's happening 
and find a way to send themselves into the next loop before they get deconstructed and rebuilt. Um, so there are multiple versions. We haven't even mentioned it's a simulation. It's a simulation. There's not actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. So let me. Do you mind if I add my two cents to that real quick? Let me just finish this bit and then yes. Okay. Sure. So, sure, so sure. this whole thing is a simulation. Sorry. <laughs> This whole thing is a simulation um, and and a couple versions of these characters have figured out how to send themselves into what's what's a, like a kind of computer uh, sector. We'll talk about that later. A computer sector to kind of like <laughs> copy and paste themselves into the next loop. So essentially uh, imagine like let's just imagine a roller coaster tycoon theme park, right? Three of the guests in that theme park have figured out how to jump from that theme park to another theme park in a different save file after you've destroyed the first one. And the implications of that are kind of what set off the plot of this game. Now I'll give the floor to you. There's like way more to discuss, but I'll give it to you now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we'll we'll probably talk more about the simulation aspect later because that's like that is the last plot twist that they yeah. that they share with you. And I think we both had thoughts about it, but basically. You know, just to refresh, what's happening is clones and pods being sent to <laughs> hospitable planets and them, you know, navigating these five sectors, growing up, living a life presumably normal to them is the simulation while they're growing in the pod. Yes. Um, but like you said, you know, some of them in the past have copied their memory into the simulation. So it's basically the Matrix. That's like the Matrix grape they pulled off the stem. Mm-hmm. For this, for this ambrosia yeah. of sci-fi. Yeah, maybe starting with Juro is kind of a weird one because there are so many implications for Juro. Like, Juro exists in three, four characters simultaneously. There's there's Juro yeah. Karabe, who we play as. There's uh, there's the, like, evil version of Juro, 426, who's a prisoner, right? Um, there's the cat, <laughs> who is also Juro. Uh, and there's Kuta, who's also Juro. Yeah, which is there's a lot of juros. Lot of so juros maybe saying he's my least favorite character is a little bit much because there are a lot of juros. But Juro Karabi is purposely a blank slate to the rest of them. Yeah, because they're all kind of trying to take him over. Uh, <laughs> this episode we'll is so talk- fun to record. This is this is all fucking nonsense. <laughs> this is so wild. <laughs> We're going out of business. Three Juro Karabis coming to you for eleven ninety nine. Um, yeah, I mean all this stuff like that you might have questions about, and I mean. Again, I we had to remember that if you're listening, you probably have played it, so you should probably be a little bit less worried about it making sense. You get it. You played the game. Yeah. Uh, and if not, sorry. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I think Juro's whole vibe, I mean, his story was really interesting. It's worth noting, too, like all the characters' stories end right before the final battle begins, and destruction, that mode is all the final battle. Yeah. So it's like, you know, weeks long. And the fi- and what you're it's fighting is... It's not weeks is- long. It's like an hour total. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, it's, I it's- just think that's a wild thing. That was a thing I didn't realize for a long time. But when I looked at the timer every time, I realized that every battle that you do is two minutes. So when... Right. So later right. on when they're like, you have 14 hours until I show up and can help you again... That's horrifying. That's a horrifying yeah. prospect. <laughs> That's what I was thinking of. It's 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 a dramatic amount of time, whatever the number mm-hmm. is. But um, yeah, I think, and it's worth noting too. We mentioned Ryoko earlier and how like her future self doomed this project. The kaiju like showing up in the simulation is the doom. Yeah, you know, it's it's the system not being able to recognize there's a virus essentially. Right. So yeah. So I, I think overall, like Juro's got a lot of really cool stuff going on in his plot. I think that the reveal of, uh, is it Kyota? Um, his friend? Kyota. Kyota. Yeah. Uh, Kyota being, uh, Juro Izumi was like, I did not see that coming. Mm. 
there are hints and there's a lot of foreshadowing and like I think we're learning now the reason why this game does have some like make sure you get to this point of this person's story before you proceed with this one. Yeah. Because if you just played through all of Juro, you would be as confused as we like made ourselves. <laughs> um, but I think I think he's a cool character. I kind of wish like he became something more unique by the end. Like I feel like I don't know who he is now mm. as much. Yeah. Um, actually, there's a little bit of that, but I just think like the version of Juro Izumi who is in, what is it, 2024, I think? Or, uh, sorry, 2064, who's in that battle yeah. um, and has to get sent back. That, I think, is a pretty good idea of who he is. Honestly, That's like true. that version yeah. of him, like that Juro Izumi that exists before they have to change his name to Karabe, um, along with the 2188 version of Juro Izumi, I think are like actually really good templates for oh, yeah. who Juro Karabe is or is going to grow up to be when he like is able to be a fully functional person again. That's a great point because I think I think that's the Juro that Megumi, who we'll talk about later, is like really hoping to bring back, yes. and I think who he eventually becomes in the in the final scene. Yeah, uh, the the Kuta is not a real person thing. I clocked like way early on. That was a wow. I I was like so sure that he wasn't real for so long that when it happened, it was just like this. It wasn't even like okay, I saw this coming. It was just this beautiful cathartic moment where I was like, yes. Yes, give me all the reveal. Yes, I love this. I I, I lick it up. Um, and that might be solely dependent on like, I mean, you're an observant guy, but also like maybe the order of stories you play absolutely. clued you in earlier to that. I mean, the that's biggest, the thing I talked about yeah. a lot in the last episode is like there there are so many moments in this game that are reveals that are are beautifully spaced out and present in more than one character's story. One of the ones we'll talk about is is the reveal of uh, the identity of a robot, I imagine, is one that you're very uh, interested in. That's oh, yeah. in like Love that three one. or four different people's stories. That ex- that exact line that reveals that identity is in like three or four people's stories. And any of them, if you play any of them, you're going to have a holy shit moment, which is really cool. Um, totally. And just like that, the Juro Karabe uh, storyline revealing that Kyuta Shiba is actually a fake person. That is like very present in a bunch of different stories, because if you if you're observant enough and you realize at certain moments, oh, I'm actually playing through, you know, four days ago when this thing happened, you'll see Juro in the background, you know, of that scene and realize that there's no Kyuta there, you know, or if for a while you're playing and you're just like, why? Why is Kyuta not in this class at any point? Eventually it'll click like maybe he just wasn't real the whole time. Um I started to doubt myself when I realized that loops exist and things like that. I was like, okay, does Kuta only exist in this loop that I'm playing as what I'm playing as Juro or like what's going on here? But, but eventually it all clicks. There's, there's a moment in Tomi Kisaragi's story where uh, you hear Juro in the background saying all of the things that he says the first time you play as him. Yeah. But waiting for responses. Like you, you hear him pause and wait for Kuta's response, um, which is wild. Really good. I, 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 as much as I agree with you that like Juro is kind of this like weird, like blank slate, kind of like maybe not best foot forward situation for the video game. I think like by the end, he becomes a really interesting character. I agree. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think the my my note on that was more a testament of like how much I liked everyone else rather than like how I disliked him. He's just sort of like. He's the Doug funny to everyone around him in, in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but yeah, I think with uh, Kyuta, the the big hint I got where I maybe, I, I think it kind of glazed over me, but in retrospect, I like put it together, 
was when you're at Amaguchi's apartment mm-hmm. and like when you go there as Juro, he's like, Oh, I want to play Atari. And I'm like, there's just no one there when yeah. you're there as a, as an Amaguchi story. Yeah. Juro. I mean, I think, I think that there's a reason they like lock his story, the second half of it off for a while, mm-hmm. but I agree. It might not like, I think this game did have a bit of a slow start for me and I think it kind of needed to, they couldn't have dumped all of this on you at once and they couldn't have like, <laughs> Throwing their most interesting characters at you right away. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool stuff. Uh, do you want to move on to the next character? Yeah, let's move on. Thank you for everything, Juro. Thanks for uh, saving the world. Thanks, Juro. Thanks, Juro. That's where we end all of them. <laughs> Thank you, Yori. <laughs> Thank you, Megumi. Yori Fuyasaka. Yori. Cannot stop sleeping in class and at the nurse's <laughs> office. Um, I think Yori, similar to Juro... They're both being billed as like the the two protagonists, mm-hmm. but they're also like more defined by their other selves. Just like there are eight million juros, there are roughly twelve million Ioris. <laughs> there are so many Ioris in this and video game. I think my I think my earlier complaint about Juro, like not being sure who he is, I think I think you kind of sold me like in the final scene and remembering the twenty forty four Juro. I kind of wish there was more of that Juro so I could have like a stronger template of that in my head. Yeah. But I feel like Iori, they actually didn't give like a new identity. I agree. By the end. I, I very much agree with you. Yeah, she she's just a person who like has friends and sleeps, which is like a <laughs> real a bummer. bummer. Yeah, because yeah. the moments in which you do get some of her characterization, like when she's hanging out with her friends. Uh, what, one of my favorite bits about Iori's entire plot line is, um, is, is this bit that you play over and over again where you're hanging out with your friends. Um, Miwako and and Tomi and you're deciding what to eat and depending on what you decide to eat it'll like radically change your and everybody else's lives yeah um (laughs) I I love that as like a narrative exploration I think that was a really interesting idea but also within that you kind of learn a little bit more about Iori and like her her likes and dislikes and what kind of person she is and I I it all felt like set up for something that didn't super pay off with her because yeah. then the focus really gets uh, placed on um, Morimura, uh, who is the school nurse and is also Iori. <laughs> um, right. So my, my thought with, with Morimura, by the way, um, as I started to click that the two were the same person, um, was that Morimura was, the few, when I still thought that this was time travel, um, was that Morimura was just Iori but grown up and that Chihiro, the younger version that we see walking around, was like the younger, was like actually the younger version of her. Um, who has been like ripped out of her timeline and like put in this one. So I thought that we had young 18 year old and adult Iori like all living in the same timeline for some reason. Like everyone had had converged or had um, had had uh, converged on 1985 because something really special was going to happen there. And I was so curious about what it was, not realizing that these were all just clones still uh, and not realizing <laughs> right. that none of this was time travel. But yeah, my actually the moment that like sold me on this game, though, like really, like I was enjoying the game already. But the moment that sold me on the game is when she runs into um, Sekigahara uh, and you get the cute guy thought for your thought cloud. And then as soon as I open up the thought cloud and there's just a button prompt that said consider cute guy. I was like, this game fucking rules. I <laughs> I'm so, like, I will buckle up my seatbelt and I will do whatever you want video game. Cause this is the funniest button prompt I've ever seen in my life. And I'm so ready to see what else c- comes up. Um, yeah, it ruled. I think Iori's story is fun. And I mean that group, Kisaragi and, and, uh, Miwa, what's her, Mi- what's her name? Miyoko, yeah. Miyoko. Like they are fantastic. Yeah. Like those two are like easily some of my favorite characters in the game. 
So like another Doug Funny scenario, which is kind of like the Leonardo amongst Donatello and Michelangelo. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just was waiting for her to get that big moment because I wanted to like, you know, we get so much Morimura and there's multiple Morimuras as well. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like the 2188 Morimura who is the, who is basically responsible for the outbreak of nano machines. Mm-hmm. Like she kind of doomed the world and is trying to, you know, redeem herself and redeem humanity. And she is actually like that Morimura is the young one, which is like one of the bigger plot twists later. Right. Like, she's the like kid that grew up with Miura in the forties. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to have another beer. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I, I was waiting to because Iori has this like sudden love at first sight with Sekigahara. And I was like wondering why, because I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of the romances in this game are like tied to the past or they're defying the past. Um, yes. And they never really. I mean, I, I like them together, but I never got why it's it, I kept waiting for like the reason or the twist, but it just, it, like she just felt like one of the more underwritten characters by the end of the game, but I still really enjoyed her story. Yeah. I mean, there, there is the weird dramatic irony of her like running into and then immediately falling in love with the person who like brutally murdered her by exploding her right. space colony vestibule. Um, yeah. Like, I guess yeah. there is and that. Sekigahara is, is, I mean, his past self is like just a straight up hitman, you know, like I love that there's like 18 people in the whole colony and one of them's a hitman. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> there were 19 yeah, people so, yesterday who did it. <laughs> it's like that quest in oblivion and the dark brotherhood where you have to go to the house party and like, yes, yes, yes. They're all like, Ooh, like who's the murderer? And like, I'm an Argonian with like a black hood yeah, and dressed in dark brotherhood. Shit. Dagger. Yeah. yeah. Right. And they're like, is it you? I think it's the guard. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're a cool story, but, um, I just wanted, I wanted them to give her a really cool moment at the end. Yeah, I very much agree. There, there is a lot of really fun stuff with her, like time traveling, not time traveling, traveling back and forth between the different sectors, which I really enjoyed, which I think that's when, um, Miyoko gets like stuck in another sector for a while, which, um, sets off this whole bit where like suddenly Miyoko is like one of the most important characters in the game, which is so fun. Yeah, Miyoko is like, she's secretly like the star of this game. Like, she, she's she, the heart of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of character, a lot of stories, like sometimes characters will have their best moments in other people's stories. I think like Kisaragi, for example. Yes. She has some of the coolest scenes in other people's stories. Very much um, agreed, yeah. Even though I enjoyed hers, I think. And her story is really just like a star vehicle for, for Miwa. You know? yeah. like, or Miwako. <laughs> um, so, I mean, there's 13 characters. One of them was going to fall short. So, like, I didn't dislike anyone. Some of my favorite RPGs of all time, I dislike one or two of the cast. Mm-hmm. I, I thought she was a cool character and I wanted more from her. But, you know, I think she is a, she and Juro, you're going to learn more about the world and about what's happening and about their other selves than about them. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of what you're left with. Yeah. So I, I think the, should we move on from Iori? Yeah, that, that's, that's a wrap on Iori for me. Unless you have anything else to say. Thank you, Iori. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Iori. Uh, I love this. <laughs> let's move on. I was so nervous earlier about making everything make sense. Now I'm in. Thank, thank you, 13 Sandals. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, honestly, this episode, I think it's just going to be like, it, it's just like a lesson in letting go, you know? <laughs> I, oh my God. I love that. Yeah, let's do it. Let's let go. I very much let go at this point. Um, thank you, Iori. Thank you, Iori. Let's move on. 
A. Sakigahara is the next person I wrote notes for and the next person we should talk about because it kind of makes sense considering he yeah. murdered Morimura um, ah! in 2188. He's got like a very sci-fi ass story. You know, there's yeah. like Looper it's Blade Runner. DNA it's like, yeah, it's, it's yeah. Blade Runner. Well, uh, you fire a stunner. You like set set to stun uh, a man in black, and he says resistance is futile. Yeah, like they're going all out with their. Yeah, he, he has a with, talking with motorcycle that he rides yeah. around. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed his story a lot. Um, it had it, and talk about playing with the thought bubble. His is the most actiony. Mm-hmm. You're like actually shooting androids with like a laser gun. Yeah, it's really funny to watch them try and put like actual combat in this game <laughs> by like open up the thought yeah. cloud and press triangle to press the shoot button. Like like AC Kigohara has to think shoot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Talking motorcycle, shoot gun, android near me. Yeah, <laughs> there is one point I was stuck at for like no joke five minutes. <laughs> there was one point where like there are two androids and you just have to stand in the middle and then yes, Tommy comes in and saves you. But like I kept trying to figure out what to do and it took me like ten minutes oh, really? or five minutes or however long. Time is irrelevant, especially in Thirteen Sentinels. Mm-hmm. Um. I liked his story. It, 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 it opens with like, he has a recording of himself being like, you're in the wrong dimension. Like you're not supposed to be here. Yeah. Um, and he is one of the characters, I think alongside Ryoko and a few others that like have a very close tie with like the last loop. Like mm-hmm. he, uh, he learns that he may have been responsible for killing the nurse Morimura. Like his first scene is like, at the scene of the crime. Yeah, he wakes and up like, in an alleyway with no memory and finds Morimura dead in the alleyway and like his gun is there uh, next to her and he's like, oh shit, yeah. I definitely did this. <laughs> uh, of the archetypes, I would say there are like four four like tough, tough characters yeah. and he's one of them. And uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed his story. I it, it wasn't my favorite, but I always like looked forward to like the vibe of his plot because it was so different from the rest. Um, And it is like the most unabashedly genre of all of them, I think. Yeah, there is some fun stuff in here. I think, Uh, you know, we find out eventually that he's been uh, framed for releasing the virus, the Daimos code, as it's called. So the Kaiju, um, which we haven't even really talked about too much, they're referred to as Daimos. And there's there's a virus that was released uh, into the Sentinels, which is calling the Daimos into different points in time or the different sectors, I guess. And and, uh, Sakigahara has been essentially framed as the person who, like, inserted the Dimos code into the Sentinels as if he is the reason that this is happening. Um, so there are people hunting him down at all times as well, which is kind of interesting. Um, this this story is really wild. I mean, he hops between sectors constantly. I think now maybe be a good time to go into sectors a little bit. Yeah. So there are there are five sectors that you travel between in this game. Um, there's uh, sector one, which is the 2080s, 2100s, essentially. Um, you spend a lot of time in like 2100s. Just about, um, which I guess for the people who made these sectors, that is like present day. They like wanted to make a present yeah. day sector, essentially. Sector two is the 2060s, uh, in in which we see like Gauto and Shinonome um, and Ojuro. And I think there's another one. Is it also Iori? Is that where Iori comes from? Oh, Megumi. No. No, it's it's Shinonome and Juro are from there, along with Gauto. I think that I think twenty the next forty year gap is Megumi and Tomi. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know, that that's where the first like real kaiju attack happens, which then sends people back into sector three, which is twenty twenties, which is Megumi and Tomi. Um, and that's where Juro ends up uh at one point. 
And uh, before that, or sorry, after that is Sector 4, which is the uh, 1980s, which is where most of this game takes place is in Sector yeah, 4. Yeah, most of the game is in the 80s. Um, yeah. It's the one place where the, where the kaiju haven't attacked yet, really. Yeah, it becomes the last like beacon at the very end, which is yeah. the final battle. Something that I caught early was like there's some background dialogue of Kisaragi being like, oh, like, I wonder if I could stream this. And then Miwa is like, what? Yeah. Like, it's like oh, sorry, I forgot I was in the 80s. Yes. Like, she's basically like a refugee in the 80s. And yeah, she does not care at all. She's too. letting it slip constantly that she's from the future. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. She's like, why do you have a pompadour? Like, what is this? But uh <laughs> For most of the game, it's it's worth remembering the characters think they're time traveling. Like very few yeah. know that it's. And I think one of the coolest things, and one of the things I think about when we say this game isn't just using references for the sake of it. In analysis, they have like three quotes from the writer of Two Thousand One: A Space Odyssey, mm. and one of them is, "If technology is advanced enough." Yes it is indiscernible for magic. And like, that is basically what the beaming is. You know, mm-hmm. there's Star Trek beaming, but there isn't time travel. And there's almost this like, when it's finally revealed that it isn't time travel, it's almost like, of course there isn't. Yeah. Like, there's shit happening. We've already had scenes where like the 40s get destroyed, but the 80s are fine. It's my favorite. It doesn't make any yeah, sense. Yeah, it's my favorite yeah. reveal in the whole game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so just to finish this off, Sector 5, 1940s. Um, and then before all of that is is a more interesting one that's called Sector Zero. And it's a sector that's not an actual physical place that you can go to, but it's essentially where your like brain is backed up or where your memories are backed up and then inserted into um, like another version of you uh, later, potentially, which is really, really fascinating. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Sector Zero when it when it comes up. Um, I think it's the most like rich narrative idea that's not explored in this game is what's happening in Sector Zero. Um, yeah. I have a lot of thoughts about it. So like maybe we could circle back to it later if it comes up naturally. Yeah, totally. Um, but anyway, who are we talking about? Oh, we're talking about A, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Sekigahara is spending a lot of time traveling between these different sectors, essentially. Um, and I think he thinks he's time traveling. I don't think he knows that it's that it's different, like actual physical places that he's traveling between. Um, yeah. But a lot of it is like him on the run, him running into uh, Iori or like whoever else is traveling between sectors at times. He is constantly saving people. Yeah. Whenever you're worried about a character's well-being, I shows up and is like, sorry, I'm late and shoots yeah. whoever the threat yeah, is. He presses it's triangle and then, and then thinks about the word <laughs> shoot. <laughs> Think of saving Ryoko. Yeah. I think the heart of his story for me is his sort of platonic bond with Ryoko and like mm-hmm. the fact that they were basically like brother and sister in one timeline, but now she because she's so messed up with her memory, she thinks that he's four two six. And like yeah. that to me was really engaging. And I think this game does a great job at like like Ryoko and, and Sekigahara are great examples of characters that have a lot of knowledge of certain things, but are completely blind to other ones. Like the levels in which characters know what's happening is so balanced. And like I is, is present is physically present everywhere, yeah. but has no idea why. And she like knows everything, but can't remember it. Cause she has to take pills constantly. Yeah. So like there's a really fun balance between the two of them. And I really enjoyed them together. And like those moments where he's like, I'm your brother, like basically, like yeah. don't try to shoot me. I'm the one with the gun. <laughs> uh, so, I also yeah. just really appreciate like his arc is waking up thinking that he murdered Morimura, realizing that he didn't, uh, and that he has a choice whether he actually should or not because you know she's still alive and kicking essentially, and uh, and and making that decision. So like es- essentially, what happens is he wakes up, thinks he murdered Morimura, 
Um, as he starts to remember things, you go back and you find out that he has seen the video evidence of him murdering the 2188 Morimura because he was a hired assassin and he had to do that. He got paid to do that. Finding that out and then choosing later when given the option to kill her to not do so, you know, saying like, oh, OK, I'm going to be a different person than whoever the fuck that was, because that guy's a nightmare. Um, I think I yeah. think it's a really, really interesting thing. Just feeds into this theme of not, you know, not being beholden to the whims of who you think you were. Yeah, he's got one of the biggest stories of redemption. And I think going back, you know, even though I wish there was a little bit more meat to his relationship with Iori, thematically, the fact that he is choosing to be in a relationship with the person he was hired to kill all those years mm-hmm. ago is like. Real, it's a really nice arc. I just wish I felt it more. You know, it's a, it's conceptually brilliant, but I just wish they like had more chemistry in the game. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a darker <laughs> you know? version of one of my favorite movies ever, which is Gross Point Blank. Which uh, for those of you who are fans, that's a good reference. Anyway, um, <laughs> do you have anything, anything else, else to say? Oh yeah, I'll say one thing. Sure. He he, we haven't really talked much about the mech battles. He has my favorite kind of mech. His mech is the Generation 1 model, which is punch shit and yeah. has like a giant sword. Really good. I love that mech and I used him quite a bit. Yeah, me too. I Yeah, I, I found myself usually spreading out between the different kinds of mechs unless they specifically ask me not to, you know? Yeah. Um, unless the qualifiers for like getting extra mystery points uh, was not to use certain kinds of mechs. I was usually doing like a pretty wide spread and like switching off between who was in my group pretty frequently so everyone was leveling up kind of like at a similar pace yeah, i did as well i think i ended up i think ogata became like my generation one choice really? like i upgraded his demolisher sword so high that like it just <laughs> and i just his battle quotes are too good to not hear all the time yeah they're um, awesome I, I love ogata i'm excited to talk about him yeah uh, cool big ryuji vibes but um <laughs> yeah that's all i have to say about sekigahara i think we can move on all thank right. you i thank you i hey. thank you Megumi Yakushiji is up next. Ooh, this is a big one. Yeah. She's got one of the more out there stories, but like is also easier to follow. I agree. Yeah. Her, her prologue starts up. It's, we talked about this in the previous episode, but her prologue essentially is like, she's walking down the street, uh, in 2024, uh, and Juro Izumi shows up like in a Sentinel all fucked up. Um, and then we like time skip to the eighties and she's like, I love Juro Karabe. I'm going to take care of him at all costs. And then as she's like thinking this to herself, she's walking down some stairs and runs into a cat that's talking. It's like a wild opening. <laughs> it's like one of the more wild prologues. Um, I felt really bad for her because she loves someone who isn't there anymore. Yes. And she's like, every everything about her plot is is trying to bring back that Juro. Mm-hmm. And she literally makes a deal with the devil. This cat's like, hello. Oh, would you like to make a deal with me? All you have to do is shoot witches. It's like, this is such a bad idea. Yes. <laughs> but like, yeah, she, uh, her, most of her plot is kind of like, I, I thought it was really one of my favorite stories, I think. I um, saved her towards the end because as yeah. we mentioned in the last episode, like the talking cat was actually weirdly the least interesting or least intriguing <laughs> thing that was happening at the time. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of glad I did because she does. I, I think you're right. I think she has one of the more interesting stories overall because it's so it's like weirdly the most tragic, I think, for the reasons you just described. But also just like seeing when you've played every other character like I had at that point, seeing her go and shoot them all with a fucking gun was so yeah. sad. It was so brutal. Um, yeah. Until you realize the then twist, uh, twist upon twist. Until you realize the twist of the gun in general, which is actually a positive. 
<laughs> yeah. So basically, I guess just to explain that or to talk about it, it's never really like you're it's like, okay, this is probably somewhat of a bad idea. The cat asks Megami to shoot pretty much every major character in the game with this magical gun. Yeah. That like kind of stuns them for a bit. I love he's then, like, it's a magic wand, and she's like, Why does it look like a gun? And he's like, Did you think it had to be a stick? Like yeah. a lot of things can be magic. <laughs> this one just happens to look like a gun. <laughs> um and basically she's shooting everyone with basically the ability to summon a sentinel, but it's gonna make the showdown with the kaiju much harder. Yeah. But the final twist is that that cat, you guessed it, Juro fucking Izumi, uh, <laughs> and he is basically like ev- everyone, everyone from that space shuttle has a different take on now what they should do with this never ending kind of purgatory. Yeah. There are some characters who want to just keep doing the loop. Some want to end the loop. Uh, and and Izumi, despite being kind of like an anti-hero in some ways, wants them to have a chance. Yeah. And the only chance they have is to make it as hard as possible. But literally, what that magical gun does is it lets you level up your mechs. Mm-hmm. Whenever you fight Kaiju and you get, uh, you know, data chips or whatever, like that thing, that code you shot into them allowed you to get better the more Kaiju you fought. Um, and it's just like... It's so brilliant. I mean, it's revealed later on that like the code that's in there is literally copied from a video game. Like, yeah, I thought it was funny. And it ends up like dooming humanity. Yeah. Um, this, this is exactly what I'm talking about when I say it would be so hard to make a game inspired by this and have it make yeah, sense. Because like right. things like this, like having the battle system and the upgrade tree exists narratively in 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 the work like this is like th- that having that shit so interlinked with one another is the thing that's going to be hard to replicate not the like having 13 characters letting you choose which one to play as you know yeah but i thought i i totally agree and and with megami's story it just kind of gets more and more it builds up very nicely it gets more and more tragic and she gets more and more conflicted with like who the witch is like you know it's mm-hmm. tomi at one point her friend from the timeline of the last person who yeah. like knows who she is and then of course he's like I, I love the way the cat's like oh and you're the final witch like you know of yes. course she is um and, and she uh, shoots herself yeah, she shoots herself yeah but i think giving her the most tragic story and the mo- and giving her the least power and then ending the game with like the biggest moment of like peace and hope uh, with her and Juro, I think is really beautiful. I very much like, agree. Yeah. I, weirdly, we'll talk about the end of the game now, but you know, you you break out and and the pods open, and it's from Juro's perspective, and like they're naked. Which at first I was like, all right, vanillaware, like can we chill? But honestly, what ended up happening later was like this really beautiful like Adam and Eve vibe, and like mm-hmm. the art of the world like them finally leaving the pods and leaving this left to right perception of reality and like seeing what the world looks like it's beautiful like it really feels like you're in the real world suddenly it's extremely moving yeah yeah i was so surprised at how how like brought to tears i was playing the end of this game it's a really nice ending and and you know the epilogue we'll talk about probably later but like that moment with her felt deserved because she was given one of the more harrowing stories yeah um yeah, one one of the things I find so interesting about Megumi is just like, A, I mean, obviously beyond this desire to just like have Jiro Izumi back, even though that's never going to happen. It, it's it's this, I actually just forgot my whole point, so maybe we should just move on. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Uh, we were talking about the final moment with her, the tragedy, the cat shooting. Oh yeah, I think it had something to do with the the overall plan. 
Oh, yeah. One of the things that I find really interesting about Megumi's story in general is just this this concept that, like, there are two ideas at play in the world at the moment. One of them is, like, we should escape these loops um, via ending them forever. Like, this is this is an ongoing tragedy to have these loops exist, to, like, have uh, the kaiju come and, like, wipe everybody out and, like, destroy these clones and build them back up is, like, fucking horrifying and we should just stop it. Like, we don't... We haven't earned this as a race of, like, uh, of beings. Like, we we as humanity should just end because we had our time and that's it. Like, that's one of the philosophies driving some of the major characters in this game. And the other side is the Morimura side, which is the Operation Aegis, which is, like, if you can set off all of the, the, um... The what what are they called the like center things? Oh yeah, the like activation points or whatever. Yeah, the activation points. Yeah, yeah. It, w- when you set off all the activation points, it will send kind of a note out to the like the big AI that's running all of the simulation. Universal control. Yeah, it's called yeah. universal control, and say like, hey, there's a fucking virus in your program. You should really wipe <laughs> this out. This sucks. Um, yeah, which will hopefully clean the kaiju and allow the loops to keep happening. And what Juro finds, I think, which I think is so interesting, and that's I love finding this out in Megumi's story, and it was so great to play her as like pretty much last for this reason, um, is that Juro is like there's actually like a halfway point between these two like really horrific ideas that that is worth pursuing, and that's like we can end the loops and we can alert Universal Control and get rid of the kaiju, but it involves fighting it involves standing up and saying like i want this to happen you know taking an active stance in this instead of it happening passively to you and i thought that was i thought that was really special i thought that was really a, a beautiful idea um yeah you know, you know jaro izumi who like seems kind of self-centered is actually kind of reverting back to this original version of him that we see in 2188 and like being the person who helps everyone even if it means his own death it rules it's yeah. really cool I mean, it's another. It's the same flip with Morimura, where it's like the person responsible for the devastation of humanity is the one that has the idea to help them at the end. Yeah, totally. It's it's brilliant, and I think yeah, honestly, if I had to choose, like, if this, if you could only play through one person's story and observe the events of this game, I think it would be Megami. Mm. Not to say that she is like my favorite character, my favorite story, but I just think she gets the most observation of everyone else. Yeah, you know, like you see other characters. You run into them in moments with the gun. Like, if you're going to make a movie of 13 Sentinels, Megami is the one. Because she's also there at the end. It ends with her and Juro. Yeah. So, like, it feels weirdly central. And you got a talking cat. What's not to like? You got a talking cat. He's got a great voice. <laughs> you're the last witch. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, did you did you play this with uh, English voices? I did, yeah. I, I was... I was uh, Debating which to choose, and I was like, oh, I'll, I made switch between kind of like you do. It helped that half the voice cast is from Three Houses, so I, yeah. I recognized immediately a lot of voices. But yeah, the 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 cat, the vocal cast does an incredible job, and the cat is like perfectly hammy. Yeah. Um, My plan originally was to switch between English and Japanese, you know, like do an hour of one, do an hour of the other, and then, you know, commit after that. Um, and yeah. I ended up just playing the whole thing with the English cast because they were so good. Yeah. Really, really yeah. well done. Incredible. Um, yeah, I guess that's it on Megami. Let's see. Oh, I'll say too, my favorite support mech of the fourth generation models. She had the coolest moves. She could like regenerate shields and like a few other moves. Yeah. Used her all the time. I, d- I actually brought Megami with me to the last fight because her, her mech is so fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. I will say like my usual strategy is like just get the, the second generation and put turret guns everywhere, mm-hmm. or sentry guns everywhere. Yeah. Anytime they can move, put a sentry down. Yeah. 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 Uh, but Megami was a good mech. Yeah. 
Cool. Thank you, Megumi. Thank you, Megumi. <laughs> <laughs> I'll like to say that uh, nine more times. <laughs> <laughs> you know you're a redneck. <laughs> <laughs> you know you're a clone of a clone. <laughs> There's your sign. Oh Here's God. your nano machine. <laughs> Gator done. Uh, Jeff Fox. <laughs> <laughs> blue collar comedy tour. Bill Engvall. Bill Engvall. Bill Engvall won Looper earlier. Jennifer Lawrence appeared in an early season of Blue Collar Comedy. That can't be the same Jennifer Lawrence I saw in Winter's Bone. <laughs> Did she actually? <laughs> yeah, she said. No way. <laughs> yeah, look it up. Wow. Dear listener, we've made it to Steven's favorite character? Second favorite? I think my favorite. I think like of the of the characters, I think she's my favorite, yeah. Natsunomi Nami. Yeah, she rules. She's who like pulled me into the game in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like I just like her the best, you know, like I feel like <laughs> she's also like one of the more, I think, amiable characters. And like her vibe is like a, a much needed source of positivity in the beginning mm-hmm. parts of the game. But yeah, she she's I think the fourth character you play is in the prologue. And her story is very E.T., which is also kind of fun. Like. Yeah. She is on the high school track team and she stumbles across this like e- Wally esque drone robot um, that she like hides in her locker. And like, mm-hmm. also, I think they do this with Juro where Juro like loves B movies and the B movies are secretly memories of his. Yeah. Not to know, like, is obsessed with UFOs and like they call her Dr. Space and she like loves conspiracy theories. And it's also revealed like she and I think Mira are the first characters you see in 2188, like in the space station. Right. And and those two specifically are the only characters that are kind of the same. Like they're likable, fun people then, and they're still that way now. Mira is a little different, but Natsuno is like pretty much as she was in 2188, which which I kind of love. Without getting too far into Miura, because I I think he's probably the next person we're going to talk about, but what I love about Miura is when you see his 2188 version, he like talks about how much he's interested in the 1940s specifically. Yeah. And he's like, oh, this is really cool. And then when when we meet his character that we actually play as in the game, it's like, it's almost like he's just cosplaying as like a 1940s guy. (laughs) Like he's just like lurping the whole time. Right, right. Um, Yeah, I, I think the character's interests actually be being real in some way is another really brilliant thing this game does. But yeah, you know, she is, she's in her own time, which helps, you know, she's one of the characters in 1985 that like has full agency over that. So you're a little bit more grounded. I think she's a really good story to start with because like they kind of ease you into it. Whereas mm-hmm. Gerald, they'll just throw you like, here's a memory. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like not to know, like you're kind of <laughs> learning at a pretty normal pace. Yeah, I, f- I found that the reveals in Natsuno's story were definitely really well paced. They're, they're the two yeah. big ones for me that happen throughout this storyline. Number one is the this isn't time travel bit. Um, I think I had revealed for me during the Natsuno storyline. Um, yeah. When BJ, who is the robot alien, literally says that to her. You know, he's like, this is not time travel. Oh, OK, cool. Great. Glad, yeah. to, glad to check that off the list. And then the second one being the reveal of who BJ is. Yeah, yeah, who is Mira from from the future. From, from the, one loop ago, specifically. From, from one loop ago. Yeah. 
I thought it was the Mira from like the space station who like put his AI in that robot. It is. Uh, it's one loop ago, Mira who put himself in the Sentinel to escape the oh, whole deal. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. But yeah, that was like that reveal happened to me. It's eventually said, but that actually happened in a Sekigahara moment where he's like, Mira, show me this, and it's the drone. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, but cool. there's still foreshadowing in in. There's a moment in Natsuno's story where she thinks bj is destroyed she sees kind of like a brain looking mm-hmm. tube inside the machine but bj's fine don't worry it was another drone but that kind of reveals like, oh there's a human brain inside this thing yeah maybe there's more going on here <laughs> yeah but that 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 miura moment is the one that i was alluding to in our first episode about this game that that is like kind of the brilliance of this game kind of taking the same reveal and copy pasting it through a bunch of different storylines because there are a bunch of different times where offhandedly without really drawing too much attention to it people look at bj and say miura um which is like a wild moment and i love i love that it's just a throwaway line and like so many different plot lines but is going to be extremely impactful no matter where you see it for the first time it also adds so much kind of bittersweetness to BJ as a character because like with the scenes you see between Natsuno and Mira in the space station, like they definitely like each other and like, but mm-hmm. they can't really hang out cause they're like working in a quarantine space station, you know? Yeah. And, and that like kind of affection for each other carries through every loop. Like everyone else eventually falls for someone else, but like those two like just dug each other enough that it's stuck for like loops and loops and loops. Yeah. And I think that's really beautiful. Um, I just, I thought Natsuno was easily the most likable. Like I thought like I cared about her immediately in a way that I didn't really Juro or the other characters who I found conceptually interesting, but like she, and I would say like three or four others to me are like the heart of the cast. Um, and there might be like moments in other stories that stand out more, but I think it's just a really well-paced fun narrative and like an incredibly likable character. Yeah. I'm very with you. Yeah. I, I mean, she's up there for me. She's like towards the top of the list for me. Um, she was so fun. I, I just, I just really appreciated how much she, I think, uh, is almost like the player surrogate in a lot of instances where she's yeah. like having as much fun uncovering all of these wild truths as you are in a lot of instances totally. because she's a fan of like conspiracy theories and wild shit. You know, whenever she's like, oh, wow, it's not time travel. This is sick. Me also sitting on the couch. Oh, this yeah. isn't time travel. <laughs> this is sick. Yeah, she's like one of the few excited by what's happening. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just I just really appreciated that about her. Yeah, not Natsuno is a great character um, and, and her entire storyline. I mean, one of my favorite bits of the whole thing is um, she ends up in 1945 at one point or in Sector 5, I guess that is. Um, and, and meets Miura, meets the Miura in, in this loop specifically. And it's like the moment when the Kaiju attack, which is a, a harrowing moment when you're playing as Miura because you play that moment as Miura also and you see them show up and they're like War of the Worlds kind of looking machines. Really scary shit. Um, but in the Natsuno Minami version of that uh, plot, that plot beat, Miura goes and gets into a Sentinel and... Natsuno and BJ are like, let's follow him. And then you end up in the Sentinel and you just like are in the Sentinel as he's fighting the Kaiju. And then you have to teleport in back to the eighties and she gets out. She's like, that was fucking wild. What, yeah. a, what a cool thing we just did. And then like goes and continues to like go to track practice and like hang out and live her <laughs> life. Yeah. Hers is like very ET back to the future energy. Like yeah. it has that like eighties optimism. And um, I think too, I mean, another big reveal from her story is that it's not earth. I think BJ ends one of her chapters saying this, this place isn't earth. Yeah. Like, yeah. Whoa, fuck. 
So good. Yeah, Natsuno A+, one of the best characters. One of my favorite Sentinels. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the constant, like, that's the thing about the twists in this game is that every time there is a twist on on something just regarding where they are or where this takes place like setting wise i think your brain just kind of creates it fills in the blanks in a lot of instances right so in the beginning it's time travel and it's easy it's like easy to kind of figure out it's like okay they're traveling back and forth through time i think somebody explains pretty early on you can only time travel 20 years at a time or something you know it's like uh, okay it's so, 40 years yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so that's the weird restraint in this game is you can only time travel a certain amount of time at a time and then you find out it's not time travel so then your brain is immediately like okay so what's going on here so you're not time traveling you're teleporting probably between different places so are you are you teleporting between different places or are you switching between alternate versions of history you know are you switching between alternate uh alternate timelines uh what's going on here um but still your brain can kind of rationalize it again because you've consumed a lot of sci-fi in the past or in your life in general um and then they say it's not earth and then it's like okay well that creates a whole new set of problems and then you get to some of the stuff that we find out in 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 Shu's story, which we'll get to later, um, which like I think was the moment when I pieced together what was happening or what I thought yeah. was happening until the final yeah. reveal. Like as soon as Shu's thing happened, it was like, ah, yes, I get it. Yeah, that's the thing. Like as as impossible as it is to explain, like the game reveals the rules so well. And that's kind of why I wanted to frame it with like what we opened the episode with, because that's that's what the story is. They knew that going into this game and everything else is just leading up to that reveal. Right. I also think another moment in Natsuno's story that I really love is the uh, reveal that Yuki was her mother mm-hmm. in 2188. And like, there's this record, because I think Mira is like, I'm from the 40s. What are you talking about? And BJ is like, incorrect. I'm you, motherfucker. And here's, like, <laughs> here's, a, here's a video of me Skyping with my crush Natsuno and her mom being like, what are you guys doing? Um, <laughs> and like, it's a cute moment because it's like, you know, Yuki, I think, mentions that they're seeing each other. And, like, there's already chemistry between Mira and Natsuno, like, now. Which, like, yeah, I feel like a lot of the couples in this game, like, don't... Sometimes aren't given time to to develop. But those two are. And I think yeah. them seeing that they were together in another life and that Yuki is her mom is like, whoa, what? That was a really cool reveal. And, like, I love the art of them in the future. It's, like, beautiful. And, like, it just... That whole moment stood out to me. One of my favorite moments in the game. Yeah, um, Natsuno specifically has like a very um, original trilogy Star Wars like X-Wing kind of vibe <laughs> outfit-wise, yeah. which I really appreciated. As soon as I saw yeah. it, I was like, this is just Star Wars. Uh, which yeah, is cool. Yuki's got a very cool like suit, like an 80s like blazer. It's yeah. great. Really good fashion. Yeah, yeah. Trends come back around, baby. 2188. <laughs> What's crushing in 2044? Uh, yeah, I think that's probably all I have to say about Natsuno. Uh, you could tell that I was a big fan. Um, thank you, Natsuno. Thank you, Natsuno. <laughs> <laughs> Every time we do that, we realize how much it sucks, but we can't stop. <laughs> Kitaro Miura is the next character we're talking about, Steven. He is an interesting dude. Um, I do like when we see his 2188 version and he's like, I love the 40s. And then he ends up living in the 40s and it's a fucking nightmare. He has a little sister named Chihiro, who we have already discussed. Turns out to be a clone of uh, Professor Morimura with the memories of 2188 Morimura implanted. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, horrifying um, <laughs> and is friends with uh, Tamao Karabe who is Juro Karabe's grandmother um, yeah. 
Great. He, I, I just think, so like he is one of, I think the first characters you unlock after the prologue, depending on, mm-hmm. I think if you play Natsuno's story first, like I did, you'll unlock him first. And just the fact that this game, you know, we've already addressed the sort of like time discrepancies with him, but like you, at that point in time, you just know he's from the forties. He's got like a forties military cap and the background when you're like highlighting his character is like, you know, fire, fire built buildings burning down in like forties, Japan. Yeah. Just the smoldering ruins of a village. You click on, you select him, and then the first scene is him in the space station saying yeah. that he likes the 40s. Like, that, that, even if you don't piece together what that means, the fact that they choose to open his story in space when he's like screaming the 40s <laughs> is such a brilliant twist. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's real. And what's even more kind of eerie is like if you go to analysis and you go to the like timeline of all events that scene with Miura is the first thing that happened mm-hmm. in the, all the events of this game, him flirting with Natsuno over Skype in a space station is the first <laughs> thing that happened. Yeah. Um, and he, he, he's easily also one of my favorite characters. I think you can divide as we have done the characters into sort of ensembles and like the ensemble with Natsuno, Miura, Amaguchi and Yuki is like easily my favorite group of characters. Mm-hmm. I thought his story was incredible. I think it starts off, you know, with the rules of like, okay, this is a time travel story. It's inherently interesting of having someone from 40s Japan sucked into the 80s and like how he interprets that. And and he's at first he thinks he's in America and he's like, oh, my God, like, what am I doing here? This is the enemy. And then well, he he, th- he thinks America won the war and, and that they, they invaded Japan and took over Japan. Right. Just seeing him process being in a modern city and then realizing it's Japan, but it's not the Japan he knew. Like, yeah, if this game was just a time travel story, that would be a brilliant moment. You know, and it is Agreed, like yeah. it's it's I think he is one of the few characters to like really devote a lot of his story to like processing where he is. And it really works. And I think, like, obviously the stuff with, like, BJ and and Natsuno is great. But, like, I just really enjoyed his character. I liked him, too. He's very respectful. He still has that, like, kind of, uh, like, on military time aspect to his personality. Yeah, very much. Um, Like, Natsuno is like, okay, I got a fucking E.T. robot and now this kid from the 40s. (laughs) Hey, can you, hey, Juro, can you have him over? Meanwhile, Megami's making him dinner. I love that moment where, like, all those plots came crashing together. (laughs) And it's, like, just a fucking nightmare for Juro. Because, like, why does this girl want to make me dinner? What does she want from me? Why, who is this guy who's clearly from the 40s? (laughs) Get out of my house. Um, Where is my grandmother? (laughs) Where is my grandmother um <laughs> so like i i thought that mira worked as kind of like a, a fish out of water story yeah and then gets way more interesting when he has to like kind of confront like his past but that is actually from the future uh really really cool story and like such a lovable character i really liked him yeah and, and as you mentioned it's one of those instances where you can figure out where the story is going before they even reveal anything to you because you know outside of the fact that they open his bit with you in space in 2188 and then if you check out analysis is the first thing just the fact that you watch the kaiju attack the 40s and there's no mention of that at all in the 80s or anything past that you know there there are actual moments where they draw attention to the fact that he goes and looks up the history books and sees nothing about big fucking robots attacking. Um, yeah. And is like, what could that possibly mean? It, it, it kind of 
clues you into the fact that uh, whatever you saw in the 40s has no bearing on what's happening in the 80s and like allows you to draw the conclusions as to what that means. And the only mention of kaiju outside of that is B-movies and video games, you know, which is so brilliant. Yeah. Like the fact that it's like actually based on that in, in the coding of the simulation. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought Miro was great. I, uh, I don't really have much else to say because I feel like we kind of covered a little bit of him with Natsuno. Um, and they, you know, them together was like easily my favorite romance. Like I thought that that was really cute. Mm. And like, uh, I was very invested in that relationship. Yeah. I thought Miro was, was an excellent character. Yeah, me too. I, I, I had a really interesting, I, I thought his, um, multiple sacrifices over the various loops I thought were like really moving. You know, the fact that oh, like, yeah. he put himself into BJ in the first place was a sacrifice. The fact that he, um, that the BJ version of him also sacrifices himself later to um, to store more code in that uh, drone was really moving. Mir is a Mir is a good dude. Yeah, very selfless. Yeah. He's he's got a very uh, you know I think I think his desire to live in the forties is almost like in desire of helping people. You yeah. know, like yeah. and that pays off in a big way. Yeah, it 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 was very interesting to watch. Um, him and the next person we're going to talk about, uh, Hijiyama, like hanging out in the 40s, talking about the merits of being in, in the Japanese military during World War II uh, yeah, and how much they kinda, wanted to yeah. fuck up America. That was a wild experience. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it's a lot. And they're like, yeah, it's I think that's another interesting arc of like them. Because like you said, it's like almost like they're cosplaying or Mira specifically is like cosplaying as like, yeah, this World War II reenactor. Yeah. And also knowing where Hijiyama ends up in, or where he came from in 2188, it's no surprise that like if they were able to choose where they ended up, that that Hijiyama also picked the 40s in World War II. You know, right. if he's the leader of the military who's deciding that he's going to run this colony in space, like it's no question that he would end up as a as a fucking uh, experimental military weapon project pilot in the 40s. Like, duh. <laughs> Adds up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. really wild. Yeah. Mira is an awesome character. I, a big, big fan of Mira. Um, definitely like top three for me. I would agree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Mira. Thank you, Mira. <laughs> Takatoshi Hijiyama, the patron saint of Yakisoba Pan. Yeah. Here he is. He, he's the third. So the prologue is Juro, then Iori, and then, uh, Hijiyama. Yeah. Right. Who then you don't get to play as until like the end of the game. Right. Uh, so I think like he definitely made the game more interesting. Like I was kind of enjoying it with Iori and Juro. And then I think his plot, just because it was like, I'm in the forties now I'm in 1985 and I don't have like any money or know anyone. Yes. You know, Mira lucks out with Natsuno helping him, but like mm-hmm. Hijiyama is like on his own. Uh, yeah. And, um, his, he's like, <laughs> I think he fights Ogata. Like he just like gets in a yep. fight immediately. Uh, he's one of the tough guys uh, in in this in this ensemble of Sentinels. And I think the focus of his story and what kind of the story opens with is his relationship with Okino. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the heart of his story, as far as I'm concerned. You know, like I think that he is involved in a lot of different plot elements. I think myself and I know other people who were like kind of worried about where that story was going in the very beginning. Yeah. Like you, you don't, you don't fully trust the ability for them to, to handle this with any kind of grace whatsoever. Right. Right. Yeah. Okino is, is a kind of non-binary character. Mm-hmm. Okino identifies as a man, but, but kind of like enjoys sort of 
presenting as both masculine and feminine Mm -hmm. and Hijiyama is sort of this like kind of short like kind of wrestling with his own toxic masculinity and like his clear feelings and love for Okino so like Okino knows that Hijiyama loves him and is like come on big guy just say it you know like the Mm -hmm. so many moments together are are Okino just sort of like like on purpose making Hijiyama jealous and uh I think to me the moment this story really crystallizes is when they're like in space and he just says like I love you like he just fucking says it you know yeah and I really like I'm just so glad the game did that and it's also worth noting too like they were in a romantic relationship in 2188 even when he was this like rigid general Mm -hmm. he loved not that that you know should mean anything but i think he's still kind of presenting in this like traditionally masculine way but like is always and has always been in love with okino and okino actually in 2188 okino's kind of even more lax and it's like yeah just threw in video game code whatever you know yeah and like that's one of the uh, silliest bit it's one of the most like <laughs> if you've ever like hung out with or talked to or like been around programmers at all the idea that you would just like copy paste some code from a video game into this other thing just to get the work done is the most yeah. like realistic thing that happens in the whole game <laughs> it's awesome yeah but Okino in most of the game is like he and Chihiro are like the two master scientists basically that are like yeah. kind of competing to like take control of this whole scenario. And and I found that really engaging. I think Hijiyama's story is kind of secretly more about Okino than anyone else. Absolutely. Yeah. Because he's largely like most of Hijiyama's story is him like by himself trying to buy food. And Okino's like, he'll throw you some money. Yeah. And like it really is just like his battle between embracing his love for Okino and he eventually does and it rules like it's really good that's kind of all I have to say about him I I thought it was cool I don't really know why they I guess it's because Okino reveals a lot of stuff about the world and Okino I think is the one who says this is a simulation in one of the battles Mm -hmm. yeah that's probably why they saved Hijiyama's story for last but yeah I thought his story was cool I I was always on edge with it being like I think the game does definitely treat Okino kind of like I feel like characters are like oh like he's weird which is like kind of shitty but I don't think the game ever treats him like a joke they never make a joke of his identity which is why I totally never yeah and never it never bothered me I'm sure like I welcome all takes on this portrayal because I think that there's a lot to say about it a lot to talk about but I think that like the game is honoring their relationship and honoring the character as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I was really surprised at, at how well this was realized in this game. Um, what, yeah. what was not expecting it to be handled with with such like a deft tone. I, I am very much with you. Like, as I say many, many, many times on this podcast, we are two like white straight guys who uh, have a podcast about video games like (laughs) we're not the end all be all on these kinds of takes but uh, at at least from my perspective I I thought that the the way they handled Okino and and Hijiyama's relationship was fucking awesome and I was so glad to see it like play out in a way that was um, as you said like that that honored uh, their relationship in a really beautiful way it was it was fucking cool man Um, outside of like even that stuff um, the the like 
just like fun, like goofy shit that the two of them get into throughout the course of Hijiyama's story was really fun. Um, they yeah. spend a lot of time messing around in the heads of other people, um, which we'll talk about in Ogata's story a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, that was that's incredible. But a lot of their story is like Hijiyama, like being the muscle going out, like whacking someone over the head and then like hooking them up to a bunch of computers so they could see what's in their brain. Like it's so <laughs> funny to watch that over and over again. Yeah. I, I loved Hijiyama's story. I think this is like probably like again all i've said this maybe for everybody so maybe i need to actually think about it a little bit more but like i was gonna say top five you know uh characters i i think hijiyama was so fun it was so funny to be running around like anytime you went back into hijiyama's story to know the first thing you had to do was go around and scrounge up enough money to buy yakisoba pond was like the funniest (laughs) shit like you couldn't see anything else about the plot they save hijiyama all the way for the end and then the first thing you have to do is find enough money around school to get yakisoba pond before you can get the reveal that we all live in a simulation the kaiju are just terraforming robots by another like big industrial complex um like all of those reveals can't happen until you have had fucking fried noodles on a hot dog bun (laughs) (laughs) and i I think um i think going back to like okino's relationship with with hijiyama like i think the reason i didn't find i think the reason i think it was handled well is like the game is openly kind of criticizing hijiyama's resistance and his like very much you know his like oh no this isn't right i'm like a man's man i shouldn't be feeling this way which is like a feeling a lot of people go through when they're discovering their sexuality you know i mean there's so many external forces hey if you grew up in the fucking 40s you'd probably have that like internal battle with yourself and i think ending you know with him like saying i love you in space to okino is like top moments of this game it it fucking ruled like you said yeah same here yeah thank you thank you (laughs) (laughs) anything else about him he was also a great mech a demolisher sword a plus good yeah this is this is actually the moment where they specific um hijiyama eventually runs into miura when they realize that they're both somehow in 1985 they're both like holy shit you're here too oh my god you know um yeah uh, this is the moment where the two of them actually have a conversation about like Miara says, you know, I saw the I saw the fucking kaiju attack or he says, I saw the Americans attack and, and they wiped out the whole city. Like, how is it here? And, and Hijiyama's like, I, I know everything that happened in the history between where we came from and where we are now. And that is not mentioned anywhere. I don't think that that it, I don't think that anything that you saw has any bearing on what happened here, which is the first like real holy shit, maybe this isn't time travel moment if you haven't hit that already in Natsuno's storyline, which is really cool. Yeah, totally. I also love the battle between, like, Miro's version of Yakisobapan is the Hamburger. He- yeah, he- Hamburger. And they, like, get in a debate about it. Like, near one of the final battles, he's like, Yakisobapan is the food of the gods. I will not hear about this Hamburger you speak of. Yeah. Uh, and, like, Okino is like, don't you want to eat anything else? Like, there's other food. <laughs> like, if you like that, you'll probably like other stuff, too. And he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> Very fun character. Thank you, Hijiyama. Thank you, Hijiyama. Nenji, the Pompadour Ogata. Oh, man. So Ogata was one of the characters who, like, immediately caught my eye Mm -hmm. in the trailer for this game. Obviously, he's got a Pompadour. What's not to like? Uh, He is sort of the, like, punk with a heart of gold, Ryuji, head first vibe. I was really surprised how his story went down because he shows up in a lot of other people's. You're like, what's this dude's deal? What's going on with Ogata? And, like, 
it's perfect for Ogata that his story has nothing to do with him. <laughs> like he's, just, <laughs> he's just thrown in this Groundhog Day situation. Yeah. And like, what a better like protagonist. Like, I just think there's something so funny about like, I feel like the writers made all these characters and they had the general framework in mind. They're like, okay, we want to do a time loop story which character would be best and like would it be funny if ogata was the one in yeah. a time loop? yes like, that is it yeah, feels like exactly it. how this played out yeah <laughs> um yeah he uh he's at a train station with tomiki saragi and uh you know he basically like waits at the station with her she says the same thing uh if you go to the left there's the uh rival pompadour gang member mm-hmm. who like gets his ass kicked every time he's on camera if you go right, I think sometimes there are different characters. A train, three trains come, I believe, uh, and Kisaragi gets on one of them. I forgot which one. But basically, every time like that series of events ends, the kaiju attack, everyone gets destroyed, and Ogata wakes up naked in a sentinel in space, and he's like, "What the heck am I doing here?" Yeah, <laughs> like just like, what if Biff starred in Back to the Future? You know. Um, <laughs> Incredible. And of course, it's Okino and, and Hijiyama. They've like hooked up Ogata to this various machines and they're trying. What are they trying to get from him again? So the whole the whole deal is that um, they're running him through. They don't even know where he is or what he's doing technically in this in this like simulation within a simulation that's happening. All they know is that like they are trying to find who has the decode. So the decode is is the thing that like calls the kaiju to a place at a given time and apparently throughout the different loops since this virus was introduced different members of of the 15 characters have all like held the decode at a certain point and they they thought that ogata had it and then found out that he didn't so they need to see who he passed it off to you know who who did the decode jump to from him so essentially what they're trying to do is like have him look through his own subconscious and essentially his nanomachine subconscious to find out who he passed the decode off to. But his subconscious is going to create that situation any way it wants or any way it feels like it can kind of parse out this information. So in this case, it creates a, a train station in 1985 that he's constantly looping through and running into. But essentially all 13 of the characters that you play as throughout the game. Yeah, it fucking rules. I mean, it. it yeah, it's great. It's really good. I think it's it's another reversal of fate where like he is a character that is constantly getting into fights, is always headfirst, leaping before he looks. And this is a situation where he actually has to think things through. Yeah. And he ends up being very intelligent and very perceptive if he like yeah. takes a moment and actually thinks things through. I do know? really appreciate that this. So as as we mentioned earlier on, you know, there, there are a lot of really interesting explorations of how the ga- the very like base level game mechanics they've built into this can work for different kinds of storylines. This is one of the more interesting ones, um, just because like as you're walking around as Ogata in this place, you could solve this pretty quickly, I think, but you're probably not going to because there are a lot of like very specific things you need to do at specific times. But there are also versions of it like you could really bump up against the edges of this and like see how far they've kind of programmed into the game. So like you could just say, I'm not going to do any of this and like get on the train just hang out and like just do a normal thing and like try and get away 
Um, the first time you get on the train, you find out the kaiju attacks and it wipes the train off. So you can tell Tomi the next time, the next loop, it's like, okay, let's not go on the train at all. Like, why don't we just walk to school instead? Um, and you walk, and as you're walking, the kaiju attack anyway, and then you end up dying, like, out in the street somewhere. And you can just keep bumping up against it over and over and over again before you eventually, like, settle yourself down and say, okay, I guess I have to play by these rules and I have to figure out what's going on here. Um, but they really give you a lot of leeway to kind of, like, poke at the edges and see if there is, like, a fun way out before you have to resign yourself, like Ogata does, to the fact that he needs to find this quote-unquote key. Because that's the thing that they keep saying every time he dies, is you have to find the key. And he's like, I don't know what the key looks like. I don't know what the key is. The a great reveal throughout his storyline is that it actually just looks like an actual key. But he should have been looking for a regular key all along, which is wonderful because... There are a couple of characters who specifically talk about having actual physical keys on them and you completely ignore it in the moment because you're like, it's definitely not a, like a regular ass house key. <laughs> and then and then right. later on when you find out it's Okino and stuff, Okino is like, no, 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 no. It is a literal like metal key that somebody has with them. It's like, oh, shit. I met like three people that had those. <laughs> Yeah, it's I think like as a self-contained story, this also works, you know, like I think so cool. It's a it's an incredible story. And and, uh, I do really like him. So it ends like when he finally escapes and, you know, it ends with him calling his mech. He tells Kisaragi that he loves her. Yeah. Who is like, you know, the one person he's like been with through this whole time loop. And I like them together a lot because like when they meet, she makes fun of his pompadour and he calls her dog face or something like it's not a great meeting, <laughs> but like he's someone that clearly like feels more than he gives off. I do wish there was a little bit more time with them together, like in the reveal of him saying I love you. I was actually a little bit surprised because I'm like, oh, OK, like I'm into this. Me but too. I, I didn't really like it didn't have the same moments that other relationships in the game like, you know, Okino and Hijiyama or Natsuno and Mira had. So I wish there was more of that because them together is like so fun. But I just wanted more of it. Mm. Uh, you know, I it's the same that. thing with like I and Iori where like they just sort of show rather than. Well, they just say rather than like experience. Yeah. But all in all, I thought Ogata is like easily one of the more fun characters in the game and had an incredible story that like is so not what you expect his story to be yeah which is great it was really fun it was really really fun yeah i i I love i love ogata's whole deal i'm very much with you that i wish they had developed the kisaragi stuff a little bit more because yeah it almost seems like they they spend more time with a different person alongside kisaragi oh yeah they do um <laughs> so the ogata stuff like very much is a surprise i'm very much with you but uh i mean i think that's the kind of like if there's any like faults of the games that they're trying to do so much that certain things will fall a little bit more flat even though it all works conceptually yeah something's just like didn't get the time they needed i agree but like yeah. you know Everything when you look back and it's like, okay, that works. I just wish, like, if my complaint is that I wish there was more of it, that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I liked Ogata quite a bit. Uh, another good first class mech. Uh, what else do you want? Pompadour? Great. Thank you, Ogata. Thank you, Ogata. <laughs> <laughs> I really love to, like, how in the time loop the other Pompadour, like, do. Oh, my God, yes. Like, he's like, I don't have time to kick your ass. Like, I win every time. Don't even try to taunt me right now, okay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but whenever he, as soon as he insults Kisaragi, he's like, all right, man. Like, every time you say that, I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah. It's, like, uh. so good. It's so well done. Yeah. Um, the the other, 
Yeah, the other Pompadour like uh, bully group is so funny, <laughs> especially in the epilogue. Oh yeah, I want to say I think maybe we could end the episode with the epilogue, but yeah, I I am so with you. That is like one of my favorite scenes in the yeah, game. Yeah, like a high, like, highlight of the whole yeah. thing. Um. Anyway, thank you, Ogata. Thank you, Ogata. <laughs> Good luck out there. Tommy Kisaragi is next. Yeah, so Tomi Kisaragi, uh, voice of Morgana in Persona 5, mm-hmm. which is like a, like a very iconic voice. And Sothis, a Fire Emblem Three Houses. Yes, immediately circle. recognizable. Yeah, she's an incredible vocal performer. But um, yeah, I, I thought Tomi's story was cool. So Tomi is someone who shows up in a lot of side stories. I think we've kind of almost been like saving that for her section. The biggest thing with her is that in 2188, she and Tetsuya Ida were were kind of a thing she was uh secretly this is actually a very touching moment when they first show you it in in, in a different story but like as a kid she was like s- secretly putting videos of her singing online and she was like being encouraged by an anonymous fan who was tetsuya ida who right. like, had a big crush on her and so that was her like in the past and you also learned that like in the space station she was i think like a biogenetics expert or something oh i don't remember i don't remember exactly She's got she's got a lab coat on, <laughs> um, but she's I think one of the more like she's got a lot of personality. She's like very witty uh, in in the friend group of like Miwa Iori. She's like the Raphael kind of like, always making like side remarks about the two of them and like is very with it. Um, is from the future, but is like kind of trying to fit in in the 1980s because the timeline that she and Megumi are from was destroyed. Her story, like, in the moment is a lot about, like, her Ogata and Miwa, like, in the ruins of the future that she's from. Uh, and, like, trying to make sense of that. It almost feels like it's less about her than when she is in other people's stories. Yeah, the bit, where, the bit where she's looking at her own apartment, you know, and it's like, this, yeah. this is where I used to live and, like, down the block is where I used to, like, go to the cafe and hang out with, you know, X, Y, and Z person. Like, the, all, all of that stuff was so fucking heartbreaking to experience. It was, yeah. yeah. I mean, I she was one of the stories I was looking forward to the most because she's like kind of saved towards the end as well. And she's so everywhere, like in everyone else's story. Like, what is going on with this girl? <laughs> but um, I think like there's a lot of Tomies going on. So there's in, in the I guess the far future, but the original space station, Tetsuya Ida, Tomi ends up dying in that in that timeline. And he never really gets over her. And Ida's whole vibe in the simulation afterwards is like trying to be reunited with her. So like he makes an Android that looks like her, that four to six eventually takes over. <laughs> uh, and he also uh, makes like an AI of her as an idol, uh, which plays a really big role later on. And like, I thought that a lot of attention goes to those Tomies um, that I really wanted. Like I, she gets a lot of agency in her own story. And like, I enjoyed playing as her. And like, uh, again, her story is like the Miwako star vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause Miwa is like painted as a character who like, see, she's like loves boys and food. And like, she's just so down to like, enjoy the simpler things in life, you know? Yeah. And she's so optimistic and, and cheerful. Um, but when confronted with danger, she's like, 
surprisingly with it. Like you think they'd paint her as like kind of helpless, but she's like more with it than a lot of the other sentinels are. Like she's like willing to help and like investigate and like um totally is the it is later revealed to, you know, be an AI like everyone else is. Everyone who isn't a sentinel is an AI. <laughs> but like is the one AI who's like probably becoming like their own person more than anyone else. Right. And like is a really wonderful character. But yeah, I I enjoyed Kisaragi's story. I just kinda I think she's so everywhere in the game that like you might be hyped like I was to play as her and her story might feel a little bit underwhelming by yeah. comparison, but still yeah, incredible. It's, it's weird to say that she gets overshadowed by herself, but like that's really, <laughs> that's really how it works. You know, like, yeah, when there's a robot yeah. version of you with like red laser vision eyes and a fucking gun <laughs> who like is yeah. ripping other robots in half and, and, you know, destroying a girl's bathroom and lighting it on fire, like with their bare hands, like that's the version version of you that i think people are going to remember more than the other which is which is kind of a bummer yeah i I do think the um the like pop star version of her that we're about to get to is uh one of the more fascinating and and oh yeah wonderful bits of the whole game though i yeah i mean i think i guess we'll talk about it now we'll probably touch it again in amaguchi's story but um there i mean the moment that we kind of cited in the last episode we recorded about this game where there's like a moment with music you know she as the idol is appearing to amaguchi through his tv screen as kind of like there are a lot of like guides from the past in the game so there's like azumi as the cat and uh there's you know the idol on the tv screen there's a lot of like influences that are like pulling characters in different directions but the idol is kisaragi you know made by ida from the past and she's communicating to amaguchi kind of like uh izumi was to juro with the videotapes through like music yeah and there's a moment uh in area two the final battle of area two like she is doing what she can to help with the battle and everything and she's like okay like i'm gonna be away for a bit in like a few minutes and then amaguchi asks her to sing and like Mm -hmm. she sings her song in that battle and that moment is just like so many things coming together at once it's like very hard to place an emotion to that battle but because you're already gonna be like you know 15 to 20 hours into the game you're already like really invested in all of those characters and this idea that their one hope is going to leave momentarily it is already crushing and then to add like a legitimately incredibly well sung song on top of that like a complete the complete tonal opposite of giant robots fighting kaiju yeah in the 80s yeah it's just such a good like I I think there's a lot of things going on there I mean one just the idea that this sort of like very sarcastic quippy character who's like probably a little bit insecure is secretly this like wonderful singer Mm -hmm. and that her like secret hobby is now being broadcasted like as they save the world this is fucking rad that's so beautiful but like you said it's so it's so not what the moment is with what's physically happening yeah that it becomes like I think this happens in a lot of media where like a song is used. I think like a not <laughs> a very different moment is like Reservoir Dogs where Mr. Blonde is torturing the guy to Yes. You just put on a song that is so like antithetical to the moment that it ends up becoming something new entirely. Mm-hmm. It's like the sweet and salty combo happening. Um that's what this song is. But it's it's beautiful. Like it really does feel like it's desperate and hopeful at the same time. I think those are the two big emotions I was feeling. In that moment. Yeah. I have listened to this song 
so <laughs> many times since finishing the Me game. Too. I have gone back and listened to it over and over again. I was like driving for a couple hours recently and I put it on and listened to it like three or four times in a row on the highway, like flying down the highway. It is an incredible song and it really works in this moment. And it is like one of the best musical moments I've experienced in a video game. So for all of the things that I think we can knock like Tomi Kisaragi's actual like main line plot line for her influence on the rest of the game is like second to none beyond just her being like a really fucking rad character. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You said she, she outshone herself. Yeah. (laughs) It was the perfect way to say it. Um, but I, I thought she was a great character and like those moments outside of her own story are incredible. Uh, really, really good. Thank you. Kisaragi. Thank you. Tomi Uh, let's get to my favorite reveal of the whole game. I think maybe, uh, in Shu Amiguchi's story. Yes. Um, so Shu's story is hilarious because he's kind of painted as the, like, I don't know, like almost like playboy of the the Sylvain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Down to the red hair and stuff. Yeah. Really, really just like a silly character in general. He has like a Hey Arnold level bedroom, you know, <laughs> that's like way nicer than it has any right to be. He's the rich popular kid whose parents are never home. So he's like, yeah, just come over. I don't care. Yeah. Whatever. He, had, you know? he has a motorcycle and he rides around the city and stuff. He's like way too cool for his own good, but it's also too down to earth. Like he just doesn't feel like a real person. Um, it's, <laughs> it's really, really hilarious. And, and one night he's like at home hanging out in his apartment and he wakes up in the middle of the night and, and his TV, uh, is displaying a music video by Miyuki Inaba, who we've already mentioned, who is, uh, a, like a 1980s pop idol, as we now know, is an AI version of Tomi Kisaragi, uh, who is speaking to him through the TV. And he is like, I'm losing my fucking mind. Yeah. Uh, but you know, she is constantly like, Shu Amiguchi, I am talking to you, my guy. I am giving you directions and orders and telling you about your own life. Um, so he's having a weird time because he has to like go hang out and have a normal day at school and hang out with his friends and then go home and get yelled at by the TV, um, which is very funny. But the biggest thing and one of my favorite moments in the entire game is at one point she tells him or the TV tells him, I guess, in this instance, your entire living enclosure is 30 kilometers wide. And it's yes. and it's no bigger than that. And he's like, I don't know. What are you talking about? And she's like, I will open up a tunnel for you to drive through. Take your bike through there and you'll see what I mean. And throughout this entire time, he's slowly falling in love with um, Yuki Takamiya, who we're going to talk about next. But uh, he eventually like says, hey, why don't you hop on my bike and we'll go visit the beach. And he's starting to like question some things about his own life. Uh, and he starts to ask her some questions about the beach that's like supposedly right outside of the city. And it's like one of my favorite bits narratively in the whole game is he starts asking her about these trips that she used to go on as a kid going to the beach. Yes. And it's all exactly what he did when he was a kid going to the beach. And he's like, are all these memories implanted? Do we all have the same exact memories of the same exact beach going to visit our same exact grandfather in the same exact place? And they go through this tunnel and they come out the other end and it's just scaffolding as far as the eye can see it's just like big metal beams and pipes and like to the point where like over the horizon line like you can't see anything but scaffolding at that point and he's like we live in a big fucking bubble and it's 30 kilometers wide and 1985 is just this little bit it is so cool that reveal it is so wild just visually to see like 
the motorcycle flying out of the city through the through the tunnel and then coming out the other end and seeing just those steel beams. It's horrifying and it's also like this game is doing some shit that is on a different level. I love Shu Amaguchi's story. I mean, Me the fact that it starts with him talking to his TV and ends with that reveal is so rad. Yeah. But simultaneously, like Juro and like Iori, he's also having dreams constantly of himself in the body of somebody named Tetsuya Ida um, and is like, you know, as we've learned from Juro and Iori, is reliving the memories of this person named Tetsuya Ida over and over again um, and is like, this guy sucks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is the this is the biggest departure because I I mean I guess maybe uh, Ryoko and A are also like very different from their former selves, but like Tetsuya I would argue is the villain of the game in a lot of ways. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and and Amaguchi is great, and like you know he has he has some shittiness, but like he grows up a lot, and like there's a moment where he just fucking pushes Ida because Ida's like walking around in this simulation, and like. He stands up to him in like a very heroic way, which I also loved. I think the biggest like plot drops are in Amaguchi's story. Like you just mentioned, like that moment with Yuki is incredible. Yeah. He's a really cool character. I thought like he's secretly much more heroic and with it than his like persona would give off. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's revealed too that Ida is like this kind of nerdy dude who like pretended to be a bad boy to win Kisaragi's affection, which is very ironic because she's like, she alludes that she kind of likes bad boys and ends up with Ogata. who's yeah. like, you know, <laughs> the bad boy of the 13 Sentinels. So yeah, I thought, I thought Amaguchi was awesome. I did actually like him and Yuki. I, I also wish there was more time, but I think it's kind of like, I, I liked it by the end. I thought that their, their final scene together, I thought was very sweet. Yeah. Um, I agree. in the beginning, it's a little bit of like, do take a hint. She does not want to hang out with you. But like, I think that they're just such different personalities. And I think once he shows like his actual genuine side, I think that's what makes it work. Yeah. I, I think so too. Yeah, really, really cool stuff with with Amaguchi. And I think like that scene between him and Kisaragi where like they're talking, you know, and, and that's when he's like, I was your biggest fan. I watched your videos all the time. Uh, and then he says, I'm Tetsuya Ida. Like, what the fuck? Like, that's one of the biggest, like, what is happening with this game moments. Yeah. Which makes it all the more kind of semi-tragic that, like, she's the one reaching out to him mm-hmm. in this. She's not right, reaching out exactly. to Ida, who's also there. She's reaching out to Amaguchi because that's the part of Ida that she likes. Yeah. Really, really cool. Yeah. Incredible. I think, like, maybe the best story uh, I don't know if Amaguchi is like my favorite character, but again, like the Mura Natsuno Yuki Amaguchi group is like the heart of this game to me. Yeah, I agree. And Kisaragi, I, I, I think by extension. I, I I agree with you. I think I think the Amaguchi story is like easily the 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 best, just in terms of like I don't know plot reveals and and um just like general storytelling you know just the arc of his story like if you sat down and played amiguchi's from beginning to end you would have just the wildest ride possible yeah um, <laughs> it's the wildest ride for sure it it has elements of megumi's story you know like just replace the talking cat with a talking tv um but ends revealing some wild shit about the plot that i think is is uh just spectacular i i love i love Shu's story i thought it was awesome it was so fun yeah it's really cool and he also like I, I, it's it's blurring together a little bit, just like the characters in the game recalling things in the thought cloud. But um, he has that moment where he's like in his mech, like piloting over the ruins of uh, 
one of the sectors. Mm. It's a, there's some. I mean, this game is so beautifully illustrated. There are just some some images that are seared into my head forever. Uh, really cool stuff. Yeah. Thank you, Shu. Thank you, Amaguchi. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're enjoying that as much as we are, uh, dear listener. Uh, <laughs> anyway, thank you, Amaguchi. Yuki Takamiya is a private eye. Yuki rules. Uh, easily the coolest character, I think. Yeah. Her gloves she, are so fucking cool. Yeah. She walks around. She kind of like struts and like smiles cockily. And when you select her, she goes, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I don't. Cool. I can't believe we haven't mentioned this until now. How have we not mentioned <laughs> that when you pick Juro, he goes, the, the exact thing you do all the time. When you pick Juro, he goes, me? For those of you who don't, I, I don't know if he's ever done this on the podcast, but Stephen Hilger constantly, whenever you like mention him or ask him a question, we'll just go, me? <laughs> That's true. The fact that we haven't mentioned that until now is shocking. Me? I laughed so every funny. time I had to continue Joro's story for that reason. Yuki has like this kind of like butthead like intonation with the way she's like cool. Yeah, it's like, like it's so good. Uh, <laughs> cool. Um, she is best friends with Natsuno, mm-hmm. which is a lot of weight is added to that when you are when when you realize that she was her mother in a different time. Yeah, and for a lot of uh, Yuki's story, Natsuno is missing, and because of that, she's kind of like roped into working with the men in black who are chasing A around to find Natsuno. So she's yeah. like basically a detective. This is the most Tim Schafer the game gets. This feels <laughs> like a point and click adventure. You have to really actually like deduce things and like yeah. ask things of other people. And you have a kind of Watson sidekick around uh, Erica. What was her last name? Erica Iba. Yeah. Erica Iba, who is, of course, later revealed to be an android <laughs> that 426 <laughs> took over. Yeah. When it's, they it's, fought. Okay. So it's 426. <laughs> Who has taken over the Tamal Karabe android from 1945, yeah. who is posing as Erica Iba, the Watson yeah. to Yuki Takamiya's Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. And that's the ultimate deduction. Because, like, Erica's constantly like, oh, my God, I'm so happy to be your Watson. Yuki's like, yeah, can you, like, get out of here? Like, I'm trying to yeah, I don't solve want this a Watson. case. Yeah. <laughs> and then eventually deduces, like, oh, shit, she was, like, purposely misleading me mm-hmm. you know yeah um but yuki's story was cool i really enjoyed the mechanical aspects of it um you also have shu like annoying you uh amaguchi in this yeah. in this plot line um but i think one of the moments early on that like showed there was more going on is like he asks you out for like the fourth time you're like dude no like get a hint i've got so much and i think there's a line yuki has where she's like i've got like so much happening to me right now <laughs> Like, please, just don't even bother. I think that, like, actually hits a chord with Amaguchi, and he's like, hey, actually let me know if you need help, because, like, yes. a TV's talking to me, and, like, I know, like, I think I know what you're going through. <laughs> yeah. And, like, and that's a the moment, moment that works for them. There. Yeah. 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 Totally. It's really nice. Yeah. I, I think I think he's like, why don't you just come with me, and we'll, like, separate ourselves from all this wild shit that's happening. And, like, that's yeah. act- that's actually the moment where she agrees to go with him, and they and they hang out for the first time, really. Yeah, I, I liked them together because I knew who they really were deep down. They're both putting up a big front. You know, yeah. Yuki has this kind of like Ogata. She's got this very tough persona, but she's like secretly incredibly caring, mm-hmm. but also very defensive, rightfully so. And like, yeah, I, I thought that her uneasy alliance with the man in black was kind of interesting. 
the fact that you had to like use the thought cloud a little bit more to like actually progress. I thought it was cool. I really like her as a character. I think it's another example of like probably liking the character more than the story, but a really cool change of pace. I think like the mechanically, yeah. her story is very interesting. I, f- I found hers to be the hardest like gameplay wise to progress through because it re- you really go from like, I'm just moving through these people's stories at like a fun clip and just like experiencing the narrative as it's coming to like, oh no, I need to be asking the right questions of the right people at the right time. And you yeah. will reset a lot of Yuki's uh, plot line over and over and over again until you get it right, which kind of rules um and and yeah. it, and is a huge like gameplay break from what you had experienced prior to that um yeah y- yuki is like one of the most interesting coolest characters uh with some of the most interesting coolest game design going on there um yeah awesome awesome shit yeah she rules yeah <laughs> it's like, i'm trying to think of her other battle quotes she's like okay like it's just very like matter of fact yeah. everyone else is like i'll give it my all she's like yeah sure let's do it yeah Great character. Thank you, Thank Yuki. You, Yuki. <laughs> <laughs> she no no may is the second to last character. Ryoko, right? Yeah. Some some characters I know better by their last name and some better by their first. I don't know why. Me too. But... The weirdest one for me is uh Hijiyama. I have in my brain as two different characters, depending on if it's Takatoshi or Hijiyama. If it's Hijiyama, it's like the kind of like skillful 1945 pilot and if it's takatoshi it's the guy who loves yakisoba pun i don't know why (laughs) that's up i thought that ryoka's story was real cool easily the most evangelion she's like very ray adjacent i would say very much down to the agency but yeah i think she's i think that she's like also kind of the biggest victim of like the loops and the sentinels and like is kind of hanging on to her own like body and mind by a thread. Yeah. Messing with the thought cloud and kind of robbing the player of that agency, like does a lot to like really immerse you in her and her point of view. One of the coolest points of views and like always waking up in the nurse's office and like trying to shake off Morimura and, and Gauto and like, the internal debate of like, are these pills actually helping me? What I don't, I mean, I have to take them because otherwise I can't ask dialogue box questions, but <laughs> also a very tragic character. You know, I mean, she was obsessed with Tetsuya Ida and like basically all timelines. And like, yeah, he constantly treated her like dog shit and used her mm. as a tool. And like her whole plot is trying to un cause she saw in the last loop shit, go down you know they were losing the battle yeah and she was convinced that it was uh a's sentinel that like released this like virus that that fucked everything up and she's trying to like get revenge but then she learns that her past self actually ruined everything so like by, there's by so bo- much just to drill down by putting the virus in a seki gahara sentinel right like, she's actually the one who put it there on purpose yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I uh, I kind of wish there was like a little bit more relief for her at some point. I think that they like, you know, there's some fun camaraderie with her and others like towards the end of the battle scenes because she's going through so much. But I yeah. thought that the reveal that like her past self is in many ways like the reason why this game exists and the reason they have to face these hardships was was really well done. And I think that like her tenacity to like go against that, even when she's like basically 
gone you know she's like as far gone as you can get yeah uh, i thought it was a very heroic character she was a very heroic character to like still try to do right even when she's like so unstuck in time yeah yeah i really like ryoko's story i think i think it i think it's easy to play it and be like this is evangelion you know this is <laughs> um right this is just kind of like a spam the pills button until you figure it out kind of uh storyline but I do really appreciate, and as I said in the beginning, I, I really appreciate that it is, like, her storyline is the clearest, like, distillation of the themes of the game as a whole, I think. Um, yeah. Is, like, fighting through whatever it takes to turn your back on the evil shit you did earlier, you know, and say that that won't define you. I I, I, I love Shinonome's story. I thought it was really cool. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, I also really appreciate, and we haven't really mentioned this too much, but I really appreciate that her and Juro are both in the state they're in when you play as them because they sacrifice themselves in a previous timeline, right? Like they, they have this damage to their psyches because they spent so much time in the Sentinels, which like fucks your head up essentially because they, they wanted to fight back and they wanted to like make a last stand to allow people to escape. They are that way because they sacrifice themselves. And that that's also uh, really wonderful. I mean, although sad, but wonderful, you know? Yeah. I, I'm a, also a sucker for like a hero who has lost already, you know, mm. like, I mean, that, that kind of ties into what you were saying with like the themes of like, just no matter what, not giving up, but like yeah. the fact that she has faced such like utter defeat in all areas, even from herself. Yeah. And still shows up is like very cool. A really admirable character. Yeah. Thank you, Ryoko. Thank you, Ryoko Shinonome. <laughs> Sorry to do a disservice to you by saying that in that way. <laughs> Renya Gauto. Talk about Evangelion. His like glasses light up and he's like, hmm, I have a scheme. Cannot believe uh, they put a character in this game who pushes up his glasses so it can catch the light while he explains everything out of a notebook. <laughs> Unreal that that's actually why Gato exists If you ever wanted like a, a t-shirt gun of exposition, that's what Gato is <laughs> for you. Yeah, it's so funny that they save him for absolute last so he can just explain all the things in case you like yeah. didn't fully grasp all of it or like didn't spend a lot of time in analysis mode. He's like when you're catching up on DBZ and they're like, last time, freeze it almost. And it's like, you know, all this stuff. It's 28 like minutes of last time on DBZ and then two minutes yeah. of Goku <laughs> charging the spirit bomb. Yeah. I thought that, I thought that Gaucho not being a villain was probably the most interesting thing about his story. I totally agree. Yeah. Especially because um, when you first, when you first meet him, I think in the, in the very beginning in his prologue, it's revealed that he's the, uh, he's the CEO or he, in 2188, he was the CEO of Shikishima Industries uh, who yeah. built the Kaiju. Um, which I, I'm, I'll get into a little bit later, but yeah, wild. Yeah, I, I thought he was cool. I mean, it's also like in the early battles, he kind of seems like he's the leader, you know, yeah. like he he knows the most. Is, yeah, he knows the most. He, he's got that little book. He knows the most. He writes everything down. And I, I think that, you know, he is most tied to uh, Morimura, Chihiro specifically, the child who has the memories of the original Morimura from the space station. Mm -hmm. So like all of his stories, basically him pulling out that book and being like, actually when you showed up there, it was because of this reason, wasn't it? And then like a three minute flashback and then more of that. Yeah. It's basically like when you win in Ace Attorney, Phoenix, right? And it's like, <laughs> objection. You know, and just explains everything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
I thought it was fun. I think I think by saving it for last, they're hyping it up a lot. And I think maybe by then I just really wanted to see the finale. So like, I don't know if it had the like oomph that it maybe I agree. deserved. I very much agree. It, it doesn't have the narrative weight when those reveals happen. Because honestly, like thinking back on Gauto's story, I don't remember any of the reveals that happen in that last bit that actually changed the way I thought about the game or the narrative yeah. at all. I mean, talking about all of them, like everything that happens in Amaguchi's story is like 10 times more interesting than anything Gauto pulls out of his pocketbook. Yes. You know? Yeah. So like, yeah, not not a bad story. And it's over pretty quick. It really is just like him doing like a, I just beat Edgeworth case, <laughs> you know, from my pocketbook. Yeah. Um, but I like the character. I thought he was fun. Honestly, my favorite scene with Gauto is when you have to sick Miwa on him. And she's just like so overcome with her crush for him that he's like kind of nervous, but is too polite to like walk away. Yeah. And that's how you get away as Ryoko is like, Kisaragi's like, hey, just sick Miwako on this dude. She won't let him go. (laughs) Uh, That was amazing. Yeah, Gaja's cool. I I thought that uh, that he rounds out the ensemble well and that there's a twist in like who he is. And even in his past self, like the fact that the CEO of the industry wasn't the villain either. Yeah, is kind of interesting. So yeah, a lot of the times you see Gauto as the Shikishima CEO, um, it's him like chastising people who like really fucked up. You know, I think one of the first major scenes or maybe the scene in which you find out that Gauto is the Shikishima CEO is him yelling at Morimura for releasing the nanomachines and like causing the plague that ended humanity. Um, And is like, I didn't ask you to do this. These are my nanomachines. Why did you release them into the planet? Which is uh, pretty wild. Uh, we, we haven't even really mentioned this a whole lot, but the, the kaiju that show up um, and cause the loops and are causing all the destruction in general are Shikishima terraforming machines. Um, yeah. They exist to essentially wipe out a planet and prepare it for civilization, for like Earth and civilization. And they've gone awry. So they're showing up in civilization to try and get rid of it to create civilization, which I just thought was a really fun twist. I don't know that 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 was one of those moments. That was one of those holy shit moments for me. Um, oh, totally. Yeah. Where like just talking about how it constantly reframes what you think the game is going to be or what is happening here. Like it was very easy for me to just say, oh, OK, there's a computer virus in the terraforming machines and it's like wiping out Earth when it shouldn't be. Um, yeah yeah really cool everything has intentionality with that you know even if it's like maybe under executed like the thought is there which is really cool yeah absolutely yeah uh gato was cool i don't really have much more to say about him he's i think probably on the lower end as well but like i I like all of them they're all they all got their moments so yeah wow you gotta have a guy whose glasses light up you know (laughs) you have to you you have absolutely yeah thank Thank you you, gato That's all, that's all 13 uh, pilots. You want to talk about the epilogue as we wrap up? I would love to talk about the epilogue. So the epilogue kind of caught me off guard because we've talked a lot about this game and its themes of like humanity and, and different approaches to like, does humanity deserve a second chance? Uh, is it better just to stay here in weird AI purgatory with everyone uh, and, and kind of fulfill our personal goals that we had when we were still alive? Or should we just end it all? And I think the game <laughs> settles on a second chance. It settles on humanity deserving to start again. Uh, and I think, you know, so after the final battle, um, that's when Okino reveals like, 
Hey, just so in case you're wondering, the reason we're all naked in these sentinels is because we were born here, baby. That's right. These are pods we're just sitting in. And this is reality. You're just in a weird pod growing up. <laughs> And everything that's happening is in your mind with AI and weird shit. Yeah. Which I think you and I talked about. I don't, I'm not crazy about that. Like it works. And I think like it doesn't get in the way because like everything that's in this simulation is still real to the simulation. It has the same weight and risk as everything, but I didn't need that to happen. I think, I think you could remove the simulation aspect of this game and it would work just as well, if not better. Like, all all you would have to say is that it's, you know, five distinct sectors with the sector zero that exists. And and every, what, 20 years, the the loop is essentially the terraforming machines coming and wiping out those five sectors and rebuilding them and starting from scratch again because they need to gestate in the pods again. Like, that's fine, actually. That's actually a very, like, clean way of describing that. To say all of that is happening inside a simulation is, like, kind of silly, I think, on top of that. It's just, like, an extra twist for kind of no reason. It's, like, my one gripe with the game. It's the one twist that doesn't pay off, yeah. Yeah. I think they just really wanted that moment of getting out of the pod, and I thought they wrote themselves into a corner where, like, they really wanted that to happen. Yeah. So that's probably why they settled on it. And I think... The more we talked about the whole game, it doesn't bother me as much as it did in the moment. But I think that is like the one twist that in the moment where Ida goes, humanity was the virus, like the two bad moments of the game. Right. Yeah. Um, like a bad anyway, version of The Last of Us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, when you finish the final battle, Juro uh, gets out of the pod and sees Megumi. And there's that really beautiful moment where they're like walking out into the real. I, I think the reason the simulation doesn't bother me a lot is because like that jump to like actually seeing what the real world looks like is so beautiful yeah. and it's so different that like that moment pays off. But then what follows is like basically everyone is now an adult. They get out of their pods, they start their life, but then they're like, you know what? Let's, let's visit the simulation. Let's go back. And like, I think they have now developed the ability to like put AI in human bodies potentially. So they're like, they're like, let's go back to just make Miwa a person. Yeah, so, you know, like, so they're, <laughs> it's really fucking cool. So they they yeah. have this moment where they escape from universal control, right? They beat the kaiju yeah. in, in the simulation. They escape and they find out they're all in the pods and that it was all a simulation, whatever. Um, and as soon as that happens, it kind of enacts all these protocols that were supposed to happen originally before there was a virus oh, yes, implanted, yes, yes. which uh, which which creates this like video message from the original 2188 version of professor morimura who was like yeah we sent out a bunch of probes to find a bunch of candidate planets for places for humanity to settle because earth is fucked because of the nanomachine war and whatever sorry <laughs> yeah um and yeah. she that's what i was mentioning before you know the closest planet 12 light years away we don't really know how long you've been flying through space for but uh i, I think they're they're 18 when they wake up at the pod and it's like you're gonna have to spend two years still in your pod in the simulation like training before you can actually go to the planet um and you know that's the whole more and more a bit but then they cut to uh the 2188 version of tamao karabe um who is like hello how's it going i'm an ai specialist um i created a whole bunch of like different ai people for you to live alongside um that are like versions of people who actually existed in real life so all all of the people that like you interacted with throughout the game are like 
AI replications of people who like kind of existed with like minor tweaks here and there to like make them either be like somebody's parents or something like that, you know, which is really cool. So essentially what Tamao is saying in that bit is like, I've, I am so good at creating AI that you, you could hypothetically put that into like a real human body and it would like be a real person. Um, and that's what they decide to do. So they end up going and, as you said, visiting the simulation over and over again and like just hanging out with people and just like checking in and seeing what's up. Um, it's like a reunion. It's like a John Hughes like e- Absolutely. Like it's very yeah. much a John Hughes epilogue. Um, yeah. And and the end goal for them, um, as as we play through this epilogue, we find out it's like been years since they've left the Yeah, they're left all the adults now. Yeah, they're yeah. like in their 30s at this point. Um, yeah. Maybe even later than that. And, uh, and, and their end goal is to take all of the people that they like knew and loved from the simulation and bring them into the real world and let them experience the new place. Even in some instances, like I think they talked to um, the Miura from one loop ago, who's in BJ and like you could upload your nano machines to me. That's what I was going to say earlier. That's one of my favorite moments where like now uh, Miura and Natsuna who are now together, you know, they're they're married. They're like, do you want to see the rest of the world? We'll put you in our nano machines. And he's like. I got to think about it. That sounds cool, but like, it's a, it's kind of <laughs> weird, you know, but I, I think it, I think it's a really, I'm glad he like, didn't just say yes. Cause it's like, okay, I'm looking at like a different version of myself. Finally, <laughs> with the yes, woman please, who I, mom, yeah, mom, yeah. Mom, <laughs> mom, mom, please put me in your show, show me the world. Show me the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that was a really beautiful moment. And, uh, I think what we were talking to about earlier is Ogata, shows up to the pompadour guy and he's like hey man he's like oh my god i missed you kick my ass or whatever you want to do man it's been so long (laughs) that was really fun and this whole time the song is playing like the game knows how good that song is and like that's happening um uh iori and and kisaragi want to bring miwako like that's like the first person like we want to make you a person he's like what i'm fine here but they're just like so happy to see her yeah and there's some really beautiful moments too i think my favorite was actually and this is why i like actually really like the relationship between amaguchi and yuki uh shortly after the scene with natsuno and bj and miura offering to show you the world um yuki and amaguchi show up and they're like hey we gotta go out of the simulation quickly because like we got to you know our daughter needs our attention yeah because <laughs> and they get into some kind of tiff but then Amaguchi's like he's like why would i want to see anyone else but like the woman i love and my daughter mm-hmm. and like it's just like such a genuinely delivered line you could tell he's grown and yuki says something where she's like you got to see my daughter not so now she's the spitting image of you and then that blew my brain because <laughs> Natsuno looks like the kid of Amaguchi and Yuki, yeah. she has his hair and everything. it's, it's incredible. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that, that scene with all of them was my favorite part. And then Ogata, of course, like asking for the other Pompadour guy to kick his ass for old time's sake. Like it's a, re- it's like almost too sweet. I was like worried for something to go wrong, but it's so deserved. It's such a deserved moment. Like everyone, everyone gets a really happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, fucking good man i i was yeah. not expecting such like an emotionally cathartic moment I, at the end of this like, game. ugly cry during because it's all during the credits and like yeah. i think you i i somehow forgotten but the the videos that played with morimura and with uh karabe like explaining to the 13 characters like what their situation is like 
it's so cool because it's like what they were supposed to see when they woke up. Yeah. If things went normally. And then revisiting this to like kind of do right by the world that went wrong. Like they're even like trying to save this fake simulation, you know, mm-hmm. like it's really beautiful. I mean, there's great moments between the other characters, too. Uh, but like that, that scene with Natsuno and, and Yuki and Mira and uh, and Amaguchi, I think was my favorite part. Yeah. I, I do think one of the interesting things to to poke at real quick with Mira's uh sorry, with Morimura's um whole reveal there or with her like video message is that she says, quote, probes were sent to find candidate planets. So weird thing you might have missed if you've played this game and you and you just didn't know this or nobody pointed you towards this direction. But if you finish the game and you go to the archive uh, and you go all the way to the end of the timeline, there's actually an extra scene that they add to the timeline that you don't get if you just play the game. You have to go to the archive and check it out. But uh, do you remember what happens in that? Yeah, so basically it's, it's called like uh, infinite possibilities or something. Yeah. Something like that. And it, it basically shows space. I think it shows that the planet you're on and then it like keeps zooming and goes like farther and farther in a different direction until it settles on a different planet. And then it zooms in and it's like the exact events of the Sentinel showing up in 1985 with like Ogata and a few other characters. Yeah. I didn't it, get it. it at I first. think it's like the original. It's, it's the first scene of the game, but with Ogata and somebody else instead of Iori and Juro, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Which so, I, I think could be interpreted in a bunch of different ways. What was your what was your take on that? Well, I didn't I didn't really because I was so just like overcome with emotion after watching the epilogue that like I remember I checked the Discord and, and someone there was like, oh, don't forget to watch this scene. Otherwise, I wouldn't have seen it. Yeah. But I watched like right after and I wasn't really sure what to make of it. But once it was explained to me, I I, I enjoyed it more. But basically, it's the idea that because they sent out all these probes to all potential hospitable planets, this series of events is going to play out on a bunch of different planets in different ways. Yeah. So we saw one of many different possibilities that will happen. And that's a cool idea. I think it adds a little bit of like uh, a little bit of an edge to the otherwise like very sweet ending. It doesn't, I was worried it was like trying to cut away from how happy the ending was. Cause I'm like, I don't need you to twist this. I was fine with how happy it was. Yeah. But it's really just saying like, okay, now like it worked out well on this planet, but how is it going to play out here or how is it going to play out here? And who are these characters going to be this time? Right. That's a cool idea. I think it's cool conceptually. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think so from what I understand of the way the story has played out, um, Shinonome, the 2188 version of Shinonome has uploaded this virus everywhere regardless, you know, so every version of these probes everywhere is dealing with the Kaiju. Yeah. So I, I feel like they've created a situation in which like they're going to bump up against every possible way they can to kind of escape this, you know, constant cycle. So my my read on it was a little bit more hopeful, I think, uh, in, in that like we watched one way that this could end well. Um, but given enough loops, I mean, we're talking about infinity, you know, given enough loops, like everyone's going to figure it out eventually, even if you start with Ogata and Kisaragi instead of Juro and Iori, you know, um, yeah. like that's not going to change it too much. And honestly, I think a lot about the Iori storyline in general and just how you continually play as her and her friends, like choosing what to eat and how that changes everything. Um, you, you could interpret that as you just playing this over and over again to get the different thought cloud bubbles. But I kind of consider it to be different versions of loops in a way 
where like yeah. in one loop she picked crepes and in one loop she picked yakisoba pan and like in those two loops her picking that food actually changed the outcome of like did they make it onto this planet or not uh eventually and um i don't know that that was kind of my read on on that ending specifically um is just like when you're playing with the law of infinites there's going to be a lot of failure but eventually it'll work and if you're playing with infinites it's going to work a lot also so there's a lot of ways it can play out in both directions which i thought was really interesting yeah it's a nice little addition especially like i wonder how it would have felt if i saw it like a little bit after the fact rather than like right after the epilogue you know Mm -hmm. um i think it might be a cool thing to discover by accident if you're just like yeah bored one day scrolling through analysis after a hard day's work <laughs> but yeah it's man even talking about this game for as long as we have has felt like a weird dream i had it's a really really special work of art i i think um i think that it ultimately is about perseverance like we've said a million times already and yeah adding that little bit of of uh of like infinite possibilities after this ending i think also does a lot to not to make it feel like the epilogue isn't like cheating in a way, yeah. you know? Yeah. It, really, really good time. I, I love, I love the finale of this game. I do think my favorite part, like I think I said this to you and I might've said it on, on the previous episode, but like for me, the game peaked like during that song in the battle, like, yeah, like a little bit after the middle where I knew enough to know what was happening, but it wasn't over, over the simulation is still like the one pebble in my shoe about this game. Yeah. But otherwise, it's like a really incredible story that I will probably play again one day. I could see myself going through this again, especially knowing what I do now and like seeing all the foreshadowing. It could be a lot of fun to revisit this. Yeah, just to I, I want to tackle all the things you just said. Um, so like I, I'm right there with you. I think that battle with the um, you know, bus song is the, like the thing that I think about whenever I think about 13 Sentinels. Like whenever yeah. I think about this game, I immediately think about that battle and like how it was the greatest boss fight music of all time. I, it's going to go down in history for me as like one of the best video game moments ever. So yes, agreed. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the simulation bit, I, I definitely also take umbrage with a little bit just in that, like it feels like it, didn't pay off or wasn't really earned in a way. I do understand the idea. Like I, I get it. I understand the idea that the, the people in the original colony wanted to create these like five different versions or these five different times and allow all these people to have different ideas of, of culture and civilization and like reckon with the good and the bad of, of humanity and humanity's history to be able to like forge that together and find a new path forward based on all of that. That fucking owns that's really cool it's a really cool idea but all of that could have happened within the framework they already had before they revealed the simulation like adding the simulation didn't actually change anything about the narrative in any way outside of them just adding a fun twist at the end um yeah so i i kind of bump up against that the real thing that i i think like goes unexplored and i think is like the real kind of missing link in the whole thing um to me is is this idea of like copying and pasting like sentience copying and pasting memory from one vessel to another i'm I'm sorry i'm about to spoil christopher nolan's the prestige for people who haven't seen it but like (laughs) the big twist of the prestige is that you know there christian bale exists there's there's twins of christian bale christian bale and another christian bale uh and the two of them are are 
kind of hiding the existence of the other to uh, do this incredible trick where they're pretending that they're teleporting from one place to another. But in actuality, it's just two. It's just two twins. Hugh Jackman's character, who you're following throughout the entirety of, of the film, is so obsessed with finding out how this works that he creates this nightmarish version of it where he's actually cloning himself and killing the original version every time he does the trick and allowing the clone to live on to then perform the trick the next night. And so he has this like graveyard of clones that he's drowned in this like horrific bath, essentially. Uh, it's really terrifying. It's a really terrifying thing. That is happening in this game and goes completely unaddressed. It's like the one thing that I was waiting for the other shoe to drop the entire time I was playing this game, and it just never did. Sector Zero is that. Sector Zero is the area where your consciousness is being copied from a physical form into a software form and then getting imparted into another physical form. That first physical form is fucking dead now. And I think that that just like doesn't go explored at all. It's like the one big sci-fi concept that is introduced and never explored or like questioned or thought about. Uh, I, I push back on that a little bit. I get I get what angle you're coming from but i think that this game is focused almost on i mean i guess this also goes to what you're saying but like the thing about the copy and pasting is that like nothing ever goes away in this game you know i think like every past version of a character exists in some form or is hanging on to some way of sticking around whether it's in an android of someone else or on tv so like these bodies that are being destroyed, their physical form might be gone, but all of their sentience is like creeping into this reality that should be totally up to these new characters, but they're kind of being like influenced and and held back or pushed forward by all these past versions of other characters. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there's like a there's probably a fun sci fi way of like explaining that, you know, like you could just upload your consciousness from one place to another and and. Uh, it it doesn't affect the original vessel. I guess like maybe that's what you're getting at, and that's what that's what the game is trying to do. Um, I I don't know something something about that just like freaks me out in a way that it that is scary because like I actually I I feel like if I say anything more, I'm going to spoil a bunch of other things I don't want to spoil <laughs> for people okay. who haven't seen them. I don't even want to. It's just what like six cents where like you know at the end it's like <laughs> Bruce Willis um, copied himself into Morimura. Yeah, I don't know. That was just the that was just the one shoe I was waiting to drop the entire game, and I was surprised it didn't. But uh, yeah, I don't know what when they started explaining what Sector Zero was, I was like, oh shit, here it is. Like here, yeah. here's where this game gets really fucking dark, and 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 it didn't, and that's fine. Um, I still yeah. I still had an incredible time. I mean, this is still like a nine point nine out of ten video game situation. You know, uh, I, I I adore this thing. It's it's so fucking good, man. I'm gonna think about I it think, forever. Yeah, I I agree, and I think like that would have been a cool concept to explore. But I think the game being kind of so excuse me so focused on second chances, I think that focusing on like the discarded selves might have been a little bit anti that message <laughs> you know like, i agree that's the thing is is i think yeah. i think it was maybe too dark thematically for what they were trying to go for yeah but they introduced the concept lightly and right. that's what made me like on edge for the rest of the game i think yeah totally that's kind of how i felt about weirdly twilight princess we're like there's a cut scene in twilight princess where they're like every 
every time this happens, there's a Link, there's a Zelda, there's a Ganon, there's a reincarnation of power, wisdom, and courage. Yeah. But what would happen if Link was evil? You know, mm-hmm. like there's like a whole cutscene about that, and they never explore. Yeah. It. That's like they're actually asking it, and they just don't commit to it. And Ganondorf <laughs> shows up. Um, but yeah, I, I I I know the feeling when a piece of media like winks at something, and you're like, what is it? What is it? What is it? And then it doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, this game is winking at everything, and most of it shows up. So yeah. Yeah, I know, I know how you feel, but yeah, I mean, I agree. This is uh, this is an incredible experience, uh, and uh, thank you all for kind of experiencing this with us. It was a very hard game to talk about. Yeah, I want to I want to mention definitely like I don't know if this is an entertaining piece of media that we've just recorded, <laughs> uh, but it was definitely cathartic for me, and I hope it was for you, Stephen. I mean, it was definitely oh, yeah. great to talk about it out loud. Well, I mean, I think here's the deal. I think whenever we do an episode, I'm trying to think about all parties. So like I never want it to be too exclusive to like having had played the game unless we're doing a spoiler episode. So like I was very nervous about like, okay, how do I make this make sense to anyone? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I mean, I I had a blast reliving it, you know, and I think like weirdly what we just did is kind of what the characters are doing in the game. They're recalling things that have happened and trying to make sense of them. And uh, yeah, it's it's a really moving piece of art and uh i i'm surprised that in talking about it i want to play it again it felt not that i'm surprised that i want to do that but i don't replay like a ton of games especially during the show but i have an urge to see this again oh man i'm gonna play this game again (laughs) you're right yeah yeah (laughs) it's gonna happen it's gonna happen it's like watching the prestige the second time that's that's what i mean this shares so much with like tv and film that like the idea of experiencing again doesn't feel as potentially cumbersome as like i'm gonna beat sekiro again or something you know like it's it's something that you can kind of experience pretty instantly and, and and binge in a way that doesn't feel too unlike watching a show um yeah, incredible video game. 10 out of 10. Thank you, 13 Sentinels, I guess, Rin. Thank you, all 13 Sentinels. Hey, if you're listening to this episode, I'm sure you've probably played the video game already, so we don't have to tell you to go play it. But uh, ho- hopefully you enjoyed this this episode. This is this is probably the least accessible bonus episode we've done before, but I, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad we did it. I'm really glad we did it. You know, this is... I think, like, this is the kind of game that comes out and, like, eight people are like, this is it. This is the one. And if our episode is a version of that for our show, where it's, like, eight people's favorite episode, I'm happy with that. I'm very happy with that, too. Yeah. I think think over time, this is an episode that people will be happy exists (laughs) (laughs) as as they continue to check it out. Cool. Should we wrap up? Yeah, let's wrap up. Um, As always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, A special shout out to our patrons for making the bonus episodes possible. Um, You know who you are. Names in the show notes. Thank you for your generosity. If you like the show, the best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend. Uh, Let them know that we talked about 13 Sentinels, a game you should play. Uh, and they end up getting that game too. You share the profits. We split it 50-50. You get them to sign up. <laughs> it's an upside-down uh, no, triangle. <laughs> it's an upside-down triangle. No, but for real, um, that's that's the best way to help it grow is to share it with someone you think will like it. Apple Podcast Reviews, also helpful. Supporting us on Patreon helps us grow. We can do the show without the financial support. So as always, if backing it puts you in any financial strain, especially right now, please don't. But... Uh, we appreciate the support of those who can. Intothecast.online has all our links. We've got our YouTube, our Twitch, our Instagram, our Twitter, all of that. Most of it's at Into the Cast, but all the links are there. Uh, we've been streaming a lot more. Brendan and I are 
going to get an xbox tomorrow yeah as <laughs> of recording we'll get it tomorrow yeah uh so we're gonna work out how that you know how streaming works on the new generation uh and yeah that's pretty much it uh do you have anything to say or add to that brendan no i'm so glad we did this episode 13 Sentinels fucking owns um yeah thank you all so much for listening if you've made it this far really cool really cool of you honestly what should we do like cool. a should we do like a secret like if you listen to this episode you should tweet a thing at us oh yeah i like that oh oh, oh my god what should it be uh oh <laughs> here's a good one if you listen to this whole episode tweet at either of us me or brendan or into the cast me question mark exclamation point i love uh, it yeah Jura. absolutely yeah. that's great me tweet at us me and we'll know who you are and uh we'll get a order of yakisoba pond for you on the house i really want to make yakisoba pond i I, I found a recipe for it and i really want to do it yeah look, it looks delicious i probably feel the same way it's just carbs on carbs it's great yeah it's um i i went to uh to ruckers and they had the fat sandwiches uh in this place yeah. called the Gre- the grease trucks they had a fat sandwich that was like every sandwich was was a, a roll with french fries mozzarella sticks and that was the default so you had that no matter what you got and then they added a bunch of stuff on top of that oh. my favorite was the fat mojo which yes you guessed it was honey mustard mozzarella sticks chicken fingers and french fries and a heart attack yeah i miss grease truck so much dude oh my god <laughs> yeah they are no longer there sadly but i might that make was one like, i have you ever made one by your like at your house no man i had like two of those and like i like couldn't walk as fast afterwards like everything (laughs) gravity just like pulled me down harder i aged five years (laughs) benjamin button baby after eating that sandwich oh my god Stephen, we've been recording for so long i just opened up audacity again (laughs) all right my name is brendan bigley you can find me on the internet at brendan bigley i'm Stephen hill you can find me in 1985 baby sector three the last stand this summer goodbye bye Thank you, Brendan. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> Me?